Hi everyone, thanks for joining. Um, today I'm speaking with Jay Shapiro again. Uh, just quick background, Jay is a documentary filmmaker, most recently did Islam and the Future of Tolerance, and I was going to speak to him today about his perspective on anti-Semitism, especially relating to the recent cartoon in the New York Times that everyone was freaking out about. So hey Jay, thanks for coming back, and uh, yeah, if you want to take the floor. Yeah, no, it's good to be back. Uh, it's always fun talking to you. Um, yeah, well, okay, so take the floor on anti-Semitism. <laughs> That's a big one. I, I, I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll start framing the conversation because you and I have had a couple little back and forths on it. Um, that my, uh, my concern, I'll start with my concern. My overall concern um, that I think people can see and relate to and, and maybe as, a, as an on-ramp to what this conversation might be is the concern about inventing or identifying a blasphemy taboo. In this case, a taboo against a specific kind of criticism of a specific motivation in the Israel conversation, and even more specifically, how that relates to the U.S.'s role in it. I know that was a lot of specifics and a very narrow thing, but I think like that's the on-ramp of, I, I fear that there is a taboo there at the moment that is, has become impossible to criticize. So I've been poking some people and poking the bear a little bit, as it were, in this particular conversation. And I, I think where this may go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you lead it and tell me where, where maybe more specifically you want me to start. But I think what it demands is me talking about a bit of my experience as growing up as you know what it means to be an american jew in just my personal experience in a post-holocaust world now i'm i guess a third generation american who grew up in an american suburb in a in a, what's called conservative jewish movement which is very different than something like when you hear conservative politics uh it's sort of the like lukewarm water between the, the very hot orthodox version of it and the very cool diluted reform version of it it's in the middle somewhere i could talk about that i don't think my experience is unique at all and so this hunch that I have, thinking that there must be other people out there like me who grew up in this tradition who are also feeling a little frustrated with, with the moment, uh, is where this is going to go. So it's a warning to sort of people listening that I might, maybe not a warning, but it's, it's saying I'm going to be talking about my own life a little bit and then trying to relate that to this maybe bigger philosophical fear. No, yeah. that's perfectly fine because I, uh, I, I have a friend of mine in Montreal um, who is, you know, kind of in the same boat as you, is very critical of Israeli policies and is quick to, you know, she doesn't shy away from calling out anti-Semitism when she sees it, but she is quick to say, okay, maybe you're, you're going a little too far. Uh, like the in France, what they have, the Loa Gaiso, which is basically it's illegal to criticize Israel, right? And you can't deny the Holocaust. Yeah, I, and, I you know, I can't believe it would be the first, but but it's it's more of the latter, right? I don't yeah. know the law specifically, actually. Yeah, um, I don't know all the details of it, but it's just like rough thumbnails. But they do have some stuff about criticizing Israel in there, and um, so you know your perspective from that would be interesting because, yeah. like you said, I don't think it's you're the only one. Like, no, I'm only... not the only one. So I, I guess like I can start with just a framework of imagining my life. I was born in 1982. I'm 36 now. Um, to parents who are both like liberal hippies, you know, like grew up in the 60s with long hair, if you look at the photo albums. I don't think that's unique at all, also in the Jewish experience. Um, to grandparents who, so the grandparents on both of my sides were born in America, but their parents weren't, which is also not unique, just given the timelines of these things. So uh, 
like my family tree on both sides came from, I guess, what is now Ukraine, but at the time Russia, Eastern Europe, Russia, kind of borderline stuff, um, and and came earlier sort of than the 40s. They left Europe in the teens and the 20s, sort of seeing the writing on the wall, and entire swaths of my family tree disappeared in the Holocaust, the ones that, that didn't leave. Um, every American Jew has this story, and uh, you know, my, my mom is into sort of tracing the lineage of these things, and it's done a lot of work on finding the family tree. And it's it is obviously like remarkable to do the math of just how many first cousins that I would have if it weren't for Germany in the forties. Um, but so, like, but to, to frame that, and so I grew up in Allentown, which is just a suburb outside of Philadelphia, New York, and it's you know, like, if you've seen American Beauty, you're sort of picturing the right <laughs> the right kind of life for me. Also not unique. And then, so let's, but let's talk about sort of like the political aspect of it. My parents, very liberal, you know, always voted blue. And I was brought up with sort of a lot of that talk in the house in this very open liberal society, very accepting, you know, listen to folk music on car, in the cars and all that stuff, kind of stuff. And, and then it came to Israel. So I, you know, I went to what's called Hebrew High. I don't, I don't know what the equivalent in other religions would be. It was like school after school for the Jewish kids, where you would go to the synagogue and like take some classes. And it wasn't like super religious in my version of it, but it was, it was, it was religious, and it was certainly community building and insular. Um, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays, and probably started that when I was in like second grade, and probably continued that all the way through my bar mitzvah. Um, and so, like, this was the kind of environment I was in where it's all super accepting, super liberal. It was always getting professed that the Jewish ethic was very open and tolerant and liberal, and there was all this sort of, you know, lovey-dovey hippie stuff. And then it came to Israel, which was this, this thing that could not be criticized. And from my uninformed, very, like, angsty teenage mind, it seemed like total hypocrisy. Just seeing what I would see of, you know, oh, here's this country that that we just blindly support because those are, like, our people, but they seem to be engaged in some pretty shitty behavior. But, like, you can't question that. And and if you try, your wrist is slapped very, very quickly. Um, and, and that, again, like, as an angsty teenager, is, like, it's like telling the kid you can't press the one button in the elevator. Like, that's the one you want to press the most. So, of course... <laughs> starting to poke it was what I wanted to do, but it just felt like hypocrisy. And then on, and then on a narrow sort of tract of that was, it, this gets very complicated, but the victimhood status and celebration of Jews and Judaism, in my experience again, sort of has become the story, the defining story. Both of my parents, I should also mention this, because this might also be unique in a post-Holocaust Jewish world. Both my parents are atheists, but very much identified as Jewish. And that, that even confuses some people, and, and they, I think it's too easy to dismiss that as just, well, Judaism is an ethnicity. I think it's much more complicated than, than that. Um, I think, again, to, to tie that to the victimhood thing, the, if I had to put like the tenet and the story, again, in my experience of what it means to be Jewish, is almost as easy to summarize as, uh, you know, there's this joke that every holiday in Judaism is, well, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. And it, and it right, and it's like that's Passover, if you know the story of like the, the Egypt thing, like every story. And so the Holocaust, as not, of course, a mythical story, but an actual awful event in history where that 
sentence bore itself out, and unfortunately only a few of us survived, so let's eat, um, has become, has risen to the top of the, you know, pyramid of what it means to be Jewish. Again, in my experience, you can fold in all these other things, but like that story about who we are as Jews and what that means is kind of the whole, the whole thing. So starting to question Israel, and again, we'll have to, I'm curious your questions, but connecting Israel, of course, to the Holocaust is, is just intimate. Like, it's hard to separate those two things. I think starting to question even Israel's behavior or policies, especially as a teenager, becomes a direct sort of criticism of, I don't think I'm Jewish, or like, I don't know what it means to be Jewish. If you're criticizing that, how can you sort of be one of us? Like, that's the thing that you can't sort of set aside, especially when there is no declaration of believing in God or that, like there is, and of course in the more religious versions of it, but as probably most American Jews will tell you, like that's almost beside the point, what you actually think about the truth of these claims, that's totally beside the point. It's actually your devotion to protecting this um, lineage and this story and these cultural practices because people have always been trying to kill it. Like you have an obligation to keep lighting the Shabbat candles because everyone's always trying to snuff it out. So if you stop, you're almost a traitor to the cause. And this this relates to some of like the the criticism. If you see me sort of throw some jabs at Ben Shapiro for not attending a you know an interfaith marriage, I think yeah. that's really the the um, the fairest uh, version of what's happening in his head is this notion of breaking the chain. This is a thing that I always heard growing up. Without not breaking the chain. Anyway, I'll yeah. let you jump. Okay, into no, the I mean, like, no, yeah. there, there, like, there was a lot there. Okay, when yeah. I was going to university, uh, Montreal has a very large Jewish population. Uh, you know, majority of my friends were, you know, I didn't have like majority friends, university friends that were WASP. My friends of you know, growing up were like the WASP, like the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, right? Um, but you know, I there was like, there's one girl who was a Moroccan Jew. Um, you know, another girl was a convert and there were some friends of mine who were from Eastern Europe or, you know, there was a couple from Israel who were all Jewish and they would talk about this. And that was one of the main things that was brought up that it's Israel gives them an identity. And so by attacking Israel, you're attacking their identity more so than attacking their faith because a lot of them were agnostic, atheistic, you know, yeah, I had my bar mitzvah, I... You know, they might, some of them might go on, you know, the high holy days, might go to the synagogue or something or go to the, you know, temple. My version of Judaism as well, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just the high holidays, occasional Shabbat, yeah. yeah. You know, and whatever, you know, but, you know, they're, they're, they were more than happy to, you know, eat a lobster salad or have a bacon sandwich, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Um, but, so for them, I get that, like, the identity and it's, you know, like, you know, recently, like, we are talking earlier, if you criticize Islam, you're criticizing the identity of that person that's Islamophobia. And I, I can see the parallels in that. Uh, some of the things I saw at university, and my friends laughed at it because I mean, there, I remember one poster was from the Jewish Students Association. Um, something like seventy percent of the water in the Middle East is in enemy Arab hands. <laughs> and you know, well, like I said, my friends were even the ones who were from Israel were just like, you know, it, the, the, the like the Arabs did not define that geography. <laughs> you know. Right. You know it was, go back and complain to the British or the French about that. And 
my whole take on the Israel thing was that. I mean, I obviously as a teenager, I didn't look into it much, and it was just yeah, go along with the flow to some extent. But you know, the more I read into it is, and especially speaking to my brother-in-law, he did a, a PhD in Yiddish, which whatever. Don't want to get into that. But part of it was studying World War II and how Yiddish yeah. expanded, and you know, and we were talked about that, and he was saying, well, some of the lands were sold to the British by Arabs who made up fake deeds and sold their fellow Arabs out, right? And so I'm like, okay, if you have a problem with Israel, we can discuss your problems, but let's not go back to should it have been formed, should it not have been formed. It's there. We're living with it. Let's discuss it as it is. And let's not wrap it up in the identity of a people, even though, you know, like I said, a lot of people do. And even a lot of non-Jews will consider attacking Israel as attacking all the Jews in the world. So, yeah, if I can, like, sharpen, though, the, like, what, I, I mean, to, to fast forward to what I'm worried about today is, actually, the, maybe the best place to start that question is this this um, term Zionism, and uh, our mutual friend Yasmin Muhammad actually, uh, we had a really great talk about this uh, when we were together for something for the, uh, the film, actually, and ended up her putting up a poll just asking people, like, what, how do you define Zionism, and she gave a few options, and it was really informative, because, so, my, what I heard growing up, and sort of what was in my head growing up about what Zionism is, was, was an overtly religious claim. It was, if I had to define it, again, this is what I was getting in Pennsylvania in the 80s and 90s, it's surely shifted, but what I was getting was very much an overt claim that Zionism is not just support of Israel or some claim that Israel has a right to exist, but that that land in particular was promised by God to us, the chosen people, and that's why it should exist. And this this is sort of the fulfillment of the the covenant of God. It's a rainbow after Noah's Ark. All that stuff was folded in to Zionism. I think the word has shifted, so like we can set that aside. And now there's a party in Judy, in uh, Israel called the Religious Zionist Party. So that qualifier of religious in front of the word Zionist maybe is necessary. But let's talk about them then, the religious Zionists, because there are religious Zionists, and we need to talk about them, should be roundly criticized the same way as any other religious maniac in the world. They're doing actual harm, they have crazy ideas in their head, and they're, they're nut jobs, right? Like, we should criticize them as just as fervently as we criticize Islamists who think the Quran is, you know, the, the literal word of God and want to impose this upon society, and that's why they make their daughter do whatever. Like, it's the analogy is, there's nothing breaks in that analogy. So those, that, those people, I, <laughs> I fear, so, so the, the, to bring it to the cartoon, and we could talk specifically about the cartoon at some point, but criticizing the U.S.'s relationship with Israel and not just Israel generally, but the U.S. US's relationship with Israel, specifically their far-right religious nutjobs, is what seems to be impossible to criticize now. How would you do it in a cartoon? My challenge was, you saw this on Twitter, of like, if you, if you think this is not a taboo, it's almost like the Muhammad like, challenge now, draw it for me. What does it look like? And if you're going through, you know, Google trying to find the one that, like, oh, I think this is the one, but you're a little afraid that someone might call you an anti-Semite for putting it out, that proves that proves the point. 
that we've now reached a blasphemy taboo because that that tract of the religious Jews, which we all know Netanyahu uses like pawns. I mean, and we'll talk about the Palestinians short, uh, as well. I'm sure all get used as pawns. Those religious Jews, whether Netanyahu thinks they're useful idiots or not, are are the ones who are sort of the the thumb in the eye in the West Bank. We know that to be true. There, they have a level of control over the politics in Israel that we know, thus over the politics of America that we know, and our relationship to Israel. Criticizing the U.S.'s relationship to Israel generally is probably safe to do. Some people shared uh, cartoons that they thought escaped the, the, the trope that I was specifically looking for, and they probably did. You could probably do a, a cartoon that criticizes US, the U.S.'s relationship to Israel, but maybe not, even that's getting tricky. But can you do one specifically about those religious nutjobs in Israel, who through Netanyahu and through the far right government of Israel, have a a level of control and coerciveness over U.S.'s, pol- US's politics, whether it's whether they're doing it on you know who, whether we're doing it willingly, because like, immediately you start to hear the quote unquote anti-Semitic tro- uh, tropes of the like the mind control stuff and the Jews really pulling the strings, and it's and how how do you so how do you criticize that without setting off those alarm bells. And if it's impossible, well, then we've reached a blasphemy taboo. And then we could talk about, as some people may may suggest, maybe that taboo actually should be there and it has some expiration date just because the Holocaust is still so recent. And if that's the case, just let me know when we can do it because if it's not now, I don't know. But there's real cost to not being able to criticize that. And I, I'm a huge fan of political c- cartooning huge fan of the artwork of it and the necessity of it. I remember doing a school report when I was young about Thomas Nast, who's a famous American political cartoonist. If I'm, if I'm getting this right, I think he invented Uncle Sam. He was the one who, who famously drew that. Um, I think political cartooning is, cartooning is incredibly effective. To pitch another documentary that I didn't make, there's one called The Cartoonist, The Vanguards of Democracy. It's really good. It was at Cannes a few years ago. If you can find it, find it. It's like profiles of political cartoonists working all over the world in some pretty extreme circumstances. I think they do incredibly important work. I'm pretty horrified looking at some of the cases of the people who've been fired for this particular kind of criticism that I'm, that I'm pointing to. Um, so, like, I, you know, I'll, 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 I can sort of leave that there, but I can bring it back to my childhood remembering hearing the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, cry foul all the time. And the hard part is there's a lot of fouls against Jews. So this is very tricky work. And it's hard to draw the line of and calling it out of like, I don't think that's a foul. I think I think you're actually just making it impossible. And and when when the victimhood narrative becomes the central tenet of the religion, then you have a real problem. Because I, 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 this is not unique to Judaism, but although I think it's pretty fervent and maybe for good reason in a post-Holocaust world, then you know then. The ADL claiming foul, 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 even if it's not, is actually part of the the narrative of what it means to be Jewish. If like, look, we're under attack, we're always under concert, constant attack, and we somehow survive. So, I mean, like that, that's a lot to, to throw on the table. But again, even on, on your podcast here, I'll put out the challenge. If you think this is okay to do, criticize exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about, which you're going to have to talk about symbols of Judaism there. You're gonna, if you're going to have in a cartoon, I don't know how to do it, maybe I'm not that creative, if you're going to criticize people who have the belief in their mind that this land 
in particular this land belongs to us because God promised it to us and you are on our land and God didn't choose you, he chose me, you're going to have to represent them somehow in the symbol. I don't know how you do that without getting called an anti-Semite these days, but try it. And then you're going to have to do this thing of, like, again, that it has influence over American politics. So you're going to be dancing around the trope of sort of the, the Rothschilds and the mind control in the shadows. If you can do it, do it. If you can't do it, we have a problem. That's where I'm at. Okay, no, that's all fair. and <laughs> I, I No, but I understand some of that. And I, I understand, like, okay... There's religious religious light right everywhere, and let's just call them that for sake of you know, lack of better terms. Yeah, so you know, and I I do this. I've never done this like with the Israeli thing. I have criticized policies, but I haven't gone into that. But you know, I equate not criticizing. You know, if you're allowed to criticize the Westboro Baptist Church, or you're allowed to criticize, uh, you know, the religious right, the states, yeah. you're allowed to criticize the. Uh, what, what else is in the state? Like the Dominion Christians and all that. You should be allowed to criticize Islam. Like Islam should be called. You know, there are far right policies in Islam. Like you know, yeah. there, you know, killing of homosexuals, blasphemy laws, killing of apostates. Those are far right things if you want to use the term far right, and that's religious right. And so, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from because I hadn't really thought about it in that in those terms. To criticize a religious right in Israel, especially the politics, because it, it is so entrenched in the politics, it is like you're criticizing Jews. Yeah. And, te- and technically you are, yeah, but you're not, you're, you're not criticizing them for the fact that they are Jews. No. You're not even criticizing for the fact that they're religious. You're criticizing them for the fact that they're using extremes of their religion or their faith to implement policy, right? That is what, I think that's the criticism you want people to be able to have uh, yeah i mean i think everything should be up for oh yeah i know it's like i i put this out too because it gets so the, the line is so tricky where when you do the thought experiment of like if i'm right and there's a taboo i certainly think i am and there's a blasphemy um situation that we have on our hands who benefits from that blasphemy and it's clear who benefits from that blasphemy at the moment, which is Netanyahu. Netanyahu is thrilled that that New York Times report, uh, cartoonist got fired. Thrilled. Now, you could take one step further of like figuring out who benefits from it and then assuming they were the ones who engineered it in the first place. That's where the anti-Semitism and those conspiracy theories about Jews running the world and manipulating all this go off the rails. But you, like, it's, you don't have to make that move. You can say who benefits from it and then stop there. Because who benefits from it is, is clear in this case, if I'm right. I mean, they're thrilled. They're absolutely thrilled that that, report, that that cartoonist got fired. And he's not the only one. That A lot of cartoonists are getting fired for this kind of blasphemy. It's like, oh, I get to use these people and they can do whatever they want and have their crazy ideas. And then if anybody tries to criticize it, they immediately get called a bigot and lose their job. This is, this is gravy. But if, and if I'm wrong, again, if I'm wrong, just show me. I'm tired of people telling me, you can criticize Israel without being an anti-Semite. Show me. And don't just criticize Israel. Criticize Israel's far-right religious, religious group and its uh, influence, again, whether willingly or not, on American politics and American discourse. Show me you could do it without being an anti-Semite. I dare people to do it. We're at that point now. Just 
do it. Just show me. And if you can't show me, I'm calling bullshit on these people. There's a lot of people making this noise. Barry Weiss, I think, is, is writing a book about this. I'm really curious how far down the line she goes. Because none of this should say that anti-Semitism is not real or on the rise. We know it is. We absolutely know it is. Like it, The same way post-9-11, anti-Muslim bigotry was on the rise. That's why it made it even more urgent to be sharp and accurate about our criticism. So we know this is out there. There's, the stakes are, are rising. And so just show me. Someone call bullshit on me. Go ahead and show me. Publish okay. it in the New York Times. I dare you. <laughs> okay, first of all, I agree. <laughs> Firing people for, for drawing cartoons is ridiculous. Um, it gives legitimacy to, to nut jobs who want to do worse than fire them. Um, you should be allowed to draw anything. And, and, you know, you're right. Like, okay, I don't know the specifics of was that cartoonist an anti-Semite? I don't think he was. I don't know anything about that cartoonist. I don't even know who drew that cartoon. And if I can find a picture, I'll, I'll post it in the link. Uh, but it was basically what it was, a uh, dachshund that looked like Netanyahu wearing, wearing a, a Star David. Star David on a leash being let. Uh, and Donald Trump was the guy holding the dog. With a yarmulke. Glasses, he was blind and wearing a yarmulke. Yeah, the yarmulke, I think, on the head was where it pissed people off, I think. But there's a few other things. I don't know. Okay, I mean, the yarmulke thing, okay, are, again, does that, you don't know the cartoonists, and they are political cartoons. You know, you get something out of it, but you're not going to get a whole explanation. It's not an opinion piece. It's not an expose or anything like that. So was he saying that, you know, Trump is a hidden Jew or something ridiculous like that? Or he's under their influence? Now, you can, I mean, people do it all the time pointing out, you know, okay, this senator or this congressman is bought out by Big Pharma or the NRA or whatever, and they can show links. Now, if you can actually show links to, and I, I think what's your name, Elon Omar did it with the APIC, right? Oh, they're they're giving money to these people, and APIC is a, a, so. And I'm not even sure if I'm getting the acronym right, but yeah. So there, I think maybe one of the issues is that from the creation of Israel onwards, not that you know people there wasn't anti-Semitism or talk of it before, but I think from that point because we didn't have social media and, you know, there's only three networks in the U S it was, you know, there, it wasn't a lot of information available that you weren't able to have really nuanced talks about this because you were only getting a very, very limited view. Yeah. Um, like you're saying, okay, this is, that was your perspective in Allentown or whatever. But like you said, after nine 11 or nine 11, social media was starting to come out. The internet was more ubiquitous. You could get people's views instantaneously from across the world. So I think at that point, people made a conscious effort, whereas before it didn't. And so now I think you're trying to go back and fight against history as well as saying, okay, let's fight against these blasphemy laws, which I'm all for it. I don't want people fired. People have the right to say, I think that's anti-Semitic. I'm going to cancel my subscription to the New sure. York Times. And, you know, at that point, do they make a business decision or not? And, you know. You can get into the whole, oh, it's a private organization. They can do whatever they want. I, I just think it's wrong to fire people because, you know, they did something that a bunch of people didn't like. I mean, and, and when I say they did something, they drew a cartoon. Like, you, yeah. you didn't go out and... Cartoons you know, are supposed to be provocative, honestly. You know, like, but that, that just did. And I, it, it keeps coming back to me the thing that Douglas Murray had said once talking about the Danish cartoons. He's like, you know, can you... Or the Charlie Hebdo. Can you, can you think of something that's smaller than a cartoon to start this conversation? <laughs> right. You know, and honestly, but so yeah. I mean, I I hit on it. I looked when you asked about that. I said, okay, I'll look. I saw some that were 
criticizing the religious in Israel, but not necessarily the religious, how they affect U.S. policy or, you know, how they affect their policy there. And then the U.S. will side along, you know, agree with what they're doing. And I, I couldn't find exactly quite what you're looking for. But I don't know. I just think it's the sensitivity thing. I think yeah. we're so heightened up now. We're so ratcheted up about everything that, and it's easy to, it doesn't take much to fan the flames of a mob these days. Like <laughs> yeah. You can go, um, okay, uh, just completely off topic. I was, I commented on a, a post that another mutual friend of ours, Ollie Rizvi, had made. Um, and it was about the, the idiots throwing the milkshakes at Tommy Robinson and all that, right? And Nigel Farage. And Ollie made a joke about it. And I don't, you know, and I didn't even comment on the joke. I commented on his comment. He made a post relating to that joke. And you know, yeah, fine. Someone got hit with a milkshake. It's funny. It's like a guy getting hit with a with a pie in the face. Yeah. But you know, Ollie's like, well, it's not violence because it's just a milkshake. I'm like, no, it's probably the lowest form of violence. It's still technically an assault. You're throwing something at someone with the intent of causing some harm. I don't care about his joke. I mean, his, like I said, I find his joke mildly funny, but. I think right. I, I think he could have done a lot better, but yeah. you know. But I mean, whatever. I'm not Missed here to critique. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not here to critique the joke. I, <laughs> I was I was critiquing his take on it's not violence and it won't lead to escalation. I don't, did he say not? I mean, I was actually well, yeah, the escalation thing. I was because I was actually talking to him uh, about it this morning, actually privately. Mm. Uh, the same the same thing. I, I don't know about, about the violence. Like he didn't condone it. He didn't but, condone it, but he said it's not yeah, violence. I mean, I, I can I, I can find his exact quote that he put but, up. I mean, he and I both agreed that people just need to lighten the fuck up a little bit. But everyone's so heightened, uh, as you said. And, I mean, that goes to the... So, I mean, to bring it back to sort of the serious note, in a way, uh, of the... Because I opened up the door in this initial sort of, like, foray into the, the cartoon. It's possible that, again, the Holocaust was just too damn awful, which of course it was. I mean, believe me, it gets drilled into you as uh, growing up the way I did. Um, that we just should be like ridiculously oversensitive about this topic and that a blasphemy taboo about criticizing religious Jews should be um, in place for, let's say, 200 years or something. Uh, just because, like you said, it's like, don't take any risk. Because we, we, we do, we have to admit that there are risks in in free speech there's risks in criticism like there always is so I made a movie I've made this point before but I made a movie as you know you saw that goes into the nuance of criticisms of Islam and try to be as careful as possible but I acknowledge that there's a risk hopefully a really really small one but a risk that somebody will see it and interpret it very selectively and decide that it says something that's like maybe like reading really unfairly between the lines and decides to go out and do something awful because of the film I made. Does that mean I shouldn't have made the film? Well, no, like we, we always have to live in a world where we, we, we do the consequences of the negative universe experiment where in a world where obviously I'm convinced that I live in a universe where making that film does more good than a universe where I don't make the film because of that risk. But I have to acknowledge that there's at least a you know, tiny risk there so yeah, putting out a cartoon that criticizes Jews, is there a risk that that cartoon incites a mob? Of course. And is that just actually too uh, real 
because we see mobs against Jews and have seen them in history uh, all, you know, all, far too often with awful, awful consequences, my own family tree, like I'm saying, is that enough to just say, yeah, this is a taboo and a blasphemy that actually, like, we should uphold? If that's the case, we're going to make make the case. Uh, but there are are that is not a costless. Ask the Palestinians in the West Bank about that. If there's no cost to just the calculus that I just said, and they obviously will have some strong disagreements. Ask the Jews in Israel who aren't fans of this this uh, influence that the religious right has over them. You know, they don't have to go in the military and stuff. This comes up all the time in Israel. There's real cost to this taboo. But if we do the calculus that we're going to accept those costs, I mean, not even costs, just actual harm that we can see and measure, but we accept that harm because the potential harm of inciting another Holocaust is just too salient to us right now. That's clearly what's happening, happening psychologically. Is it true politically? Maybe those are hard tea leaves to 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 parse. Um, I don't know, but but I'm just point. I, I'm pointing out that that's what the, the 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 taboo is. I mean, as sort of another anecdote of just how like deep the Holocaust and the victimhood narrative and Israel tied to that all is for an American Jew like myself growing up in the 80s and 90s in in a suburb in in um, Pennsylvania is, you know, we, I don't even know how old I was, but when the Holocaust Museum opened in D.C., this was like a trip that sort of the entire community, our entire, it was called Temple Bethel, it's still there in Allentown, like our entire class basically went to see it, and it's an incredible museum, I think they did an incredible job, um, Birthright always being talked about, you know, no one talks about who funds Birthright, but Sheldon Alderson far right, you know, <laughs> a billionaire. I didn't go on birthright, uh, but a lot of my friends did. The The connection between that mantra of, like, people have always been trying to kill you and people like you, and now we have a safe place to call home, and we're going to defend that. That is the religion now. You don't hear about God or, like, you say the prayers, they're in Hebrew, you don't even know what it means. Like, as another just anecdote, my mom... Uh, became an atheist, she said, when reading about the Holocaust, I think she was a teenager, when reading about the Holocaust and reading just an absolutely awful, gut-wrenching story of, like, a Nazi taking a Jewish baby and just, like, swinging it around and, like, smashing it into a tree and killing it, or just for, like, fun or something, or almost torture. Like, this awful story, and she read it, and she decided right then and there, no God would allow this to happen, and she became an atheist because of, you know, yeah. The horror of the Holocaust. The Holocaust probably made a lot of atheist Jews, honestly. But a different narrative of what it means to be Jewish really uh, interwound itself around that event for obvious reasons. I'm not even criticizing it. I'm just doing analysis of it. Um, and tied through the historical stories as well. Passover probably became a little more important. The story of Passover, which probably is historically <laughs> totally inaccurate. There's no evidence that Jews were ever slaves in Egypt, but yeah. uh, someone will probably disagree with me on that. But the story is about, you know... The, God helping us escape this evil tyrant pharaoh, and like every story, the Hanukkah has the same kind of thing. It, I don't think it's a surprise. Okay. Just, just one, world one thing on, on the oh. Passover. I, I mean, it's just yeah. little technicality, and it's yeah. a God actually had to have doors marked so he knew who to pass over. Like so, Mysterious he's right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know. And secondly, you and are he killed, actually, all, he all, killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians. It's like a genocide. <laughs> 
Exactly. exactly. That's what I was getting at. Take that story beginning to end. I'll tell you. Actually, actually, there's a story in there, probably lesser known to non-Jews. If you've ever attended uh, a seder, I don't know if you have. You, if you, you should go to one next year, you could come to my mom's. It's great. <laughs> if she's watching, it's, she does a really good job. Uh, but there, she knows. She always skips this one part because I've always been bitching about it. There's one part. It's not like in the Torah or even. I don't know where it came from. It's called the four children. Jews will know what I'm talking about here. The four children. And they all ask questions. I, I, I should look it up. Maybe you could look it up too. But there's the wise child, the wicked child, the simple child, and uh, there's one more child. There's four children. And they all ask questions. But the the wicked child in the story asks the question. You tell me why you think this is wicked. The question is, what does this mean to you? That question is apparently wicked at the table. And the interpretation of it is by using the word you, it's like separating the child from kind of the tribe, saying like, this is your thing, and I'm not a part of it, so what does this mean to you is a wicked uh, question for some reason or whatever. But it's almost like they're writing in sort of the blasphemy taboo into the story of Passover. Uh, but anyway, I was always the wicked child, I guess, at the table, because I was always <laughs> being like, what the fuck is all this about? But anyway, the, the food is fine. But it, they, maybe it's a little off point, but it, but it's... it, it I, you know, it just has become the narrative again in a post-Holocaust world, even more so. It probably was there before, but ramped up more in just that one line. So to bring it back to, again, maybe some more salient and some people like Ben Shapiro, um, when he won't attend the wedding of an interfaith marriage or whatever, and, you know, my first initial sort of jab at it was a little snarky, and I tried to clean it up, so I apologize for the initial snark. But to, to clean it up, to be fair, it, it was that. It would be this, like, you know... Ben has, he would probably never put it directly this way, or maybe he would, Ben has decided that interfaith marriage is the biggest threat to the future of Judaism surviving in the world, and because Jews are always under threat to be eliminated historically um, by his cousin marrying a non-Jew, he's participating in this, um, you know, almost traitorous act, and so he's not going to be at the wedding because he doesn't support that. That's, that's probably truer to what's happening in Ben's mind. I grew up with that assumption as well. I even put this in my, my thread that it was, it was sort of assumed that me and my brother would end up being with Jews and marrying Jews. Um, we always knew, we always knew which other couples that we were friends with or my parents knew were inter interfaith marriages. It was always mentioned. It was always sort of this like low level. We just heard it in this sort of like scoffing criti criticism way. Um, Whenever I had a new girlfriend and I called my mom, the first question is, what is her last name? <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, first, you knew what she was asking. She, she, she was a little more into this than my dad, but they both outgrew this very quickly when uh, my, my uh, college girlfriend, uh, her name was, was Kat Wilson, not, not a Jew, uh, is like the loveliest girl in the world. And my, but my mom was a little cold to her for like, you know, a month until she, was, she broke her down because she was so lovely and then whatever. She outgrew this thing. But I think a lot of Jews never do, and a lot of Jews, I don't know, in your listener group probably still feel that, or if they have kids, they're kind of hoping they end up with a Jew. But I, but I think it's all wrapped up in that narrative of this, like, you, have, you can't break the chain. If you're the one who breaks the chain, you, like, really, you know, spat on your ancestors' graves who went through the Holocaust to get to you. So, like, how dare you? It's wrapped up in that kind of, yeah, you know, I mean, and then Israel becomes a big link in that chain. So, well, like I said, I, I get that, and I get the identity yeah. thing, and I get, okay... I get the fear of, okay, well, if you let this one, you know, quote-unquote, anti-Semitic cartoon go, 
you're opening the floodgates to all kinds of hatred towards Jews. I mean, after the Christchurch thing, the amount of vitriol that was thrown, not so much at me, I'm like, I'm not important enough, I guess. Uh, and thankfully so. Uh, but, you know, like, like Ali and Yasmin yeah. and Majid and Sam, oh, you're responsible for what happened in Christchurch because you speak out against Islam. And I can see those parallels. I can see, right. you know, oh, you cannot criticize Israel because then you're responsible for the Holocaust or you're responsible <laughs> for the next Holocaust. And I'm, yeah. again, it gets under the sensitivity and it's, but I think part of the, the some of the struggle that someone like a Barry Weiss, who I disagree with her. I, I think some of the things she does are brilliant. I think some of the thing, yeah. other things, you know, it's like with everyone else. Um, but I think part of the struggle here is, and I'm not, I don't know enough about Ilan Omar and Rashida Talib. I have my suspicions and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But, you know, <laughs> they are, you know, I think she's freaking out because there there is an Islamic anti-Semitism, Right. Yeah, it, it, it's there, and it's you know the videos coming out of mosques and stuff, you know the the where you know they they, they say a prayer and everyone's just saying I mean because it's the same thing. There's the prayers in Arabic, and these people are probably majority of Muslims don't speak Arabic. They don't understand what the prayer is. But when you look at the translation, it's like kill all the Jews. You know until all the Jews are killed, we won't have Judgment Day. And then the rocks will tell you, yeah, yeah, the the rocks will tell you there's a Jew hiding behind them. And there's only going to be one tree that won't give you that information. The Jews will start planting that everywhere. Okay, it's there. So yeah. maybe they're cognizant of that. And that's fueling some of their reaction now because they are seeing a new form of it that's not really being addressed. Yeah. Um, and then there was also, like, right after the, the Temple of Life. Uh, uh, Barry was, yeah. was a Hungarian member. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So right after that it happened, I think it was like a day or two, the New York Times published this story about how, you know, the rise of left-wing anti-Semitism and how in New York State, you know, in the past 22 months, every act that they the police had investigated was done by people you would describe as left-wing. And how the New York Times, I mean, the the, the the opinion piece where they're talking about how it's not being reported on because it's not the right type of anti-Semitism. So, so I'm wondering if, you know, some of those fears are assass- uh, exacerbating the problem. Like they're, they're they, you know, they're, they're afraid of this new form, which unfortunately, like, you know, and I'm going to get called an Islamophobe for this, you know, <laughs> that there is an Islamic anti-Semitism. And, you know, I, I, again, I, one, of, one of my friends who's critical of Israel, she goes to these interfaith things and she's like, oh, my friends from this mosque, they did this and they had a Passover dinner and they're going to come to our, uh, the, you know, they had a Passover dinner during at the mosque and then during Ramadan, they were invited to a Seder, to, you know, to break the fast with the Seder instead of just a fast, the mo- breaking the fast of the mosque. So, yeah, these things are all great, but it's, you know, she's couching her understanding of, of Islam from that and not listening to other people who say it's in the book and they do it and maybe in the same sense people like and I don't want to you know single out Barry Weiss but she's writing a book I'm sure it's going to be really good but you know she's she's coming from this other end where she's seeing a new rise of it a new form of it and she's also I mean you do have certain things coming up especially you know again I hate the terms left and right but on the left you have coming up with, you know, the whole BDS movement, and there is, oh, Jews aren't, you know, a protected class because they're white now. Apparently, you know, you have that kind of idiocy. So I can, 
see the concerns, but I think the concerns are being blown way out of proportion in some some ways. Not the Islamic thing, but like the, you know, that cartoon is anti-Semitic or um, I don't like Israel's policy on uh, the right of return. Right. right. All of a sudden you're an anti-Semite because you're questioning that. It's like, okay, well, maybe it's also a geographical issue. There's only so much space in Israel, right? There's not, you know, so you have to, and, and it comes down, and it's like I said, like they're ratcheting up of just about anything else. Like, oh, uh, you're you're pro-life. Do you want to kill the mother? Uh, you know, you're anti-immigration. You're a racist. We were, you know, this country was built on immigration, like both Canada and the United States. Yeah. And it's, I the thing that, that gets me worried the most, okay, yes, people losing their jobs, a new blasphemy law coming in, which can then be exploited by others. Um, but it's just this, Everyone wants to go to the extreme. No one wants to sit there and, you know, have a talk. Like, you know, even when I replied to you on Twitter, I really don't like doing that. Um, even like I said, you know, when I mentioned this, like, you know, I, I commented on a post that Ollie had made. Like, if there are people that are friends of mine and I can reach out to you privately, I prefer to do it that way. Just because I don't, okay, especially Twitter, like 280 characters. I, I can't sit there and write long threads. I don't know how people do it. You know, I, I can get to about four and then I just lose interest, <laughs> you know, but I can sit there and I can type out 5,000 words, you know, no problem. But, you know, like I said, it's just the, the, the Twitter thing. Like, I think, you know, it, it's just we're getting too frustrated about everything. And it's I, I, I'm, I'm getting so frustrated. I can't even talk about it. It's, it's just, I'm frustrated at I'm getting frustrated at the frustration that people are having and the inability to, to just make a post you know like i could have put out that cartoon and said you know i i, I find this cartoon distasteful yeah. and just left it at that well, but, well let, let me let me try to like then because where i mean we're all frustrated so that's fine that that, that you're um, you know going in circles on that one but like my um my pushback to i'll go back to like my teenage angst again was hearing the message of the biggest threat to the survival of Judaism in the future is interfaith marriage. You would hear this from, it's called the Bema, but from the, the pulpit, really, where the rabbi, you would hear it in the sermons about this danger. People were doing the math of like, oh, Jews are going to disappear because we're all, you know, they're all, all of the boys and girls are marrying Goyim. <laughs> it's like you would hear this. And um, getting that and hearing that sort of as the ethos in my family and in my, uh, my family dinner table and all that, and my pushback was like, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. The biggest threat to Judaism that I'm seeing it now is the hypocrisy of values. Like no group can stay, can really hinge together if it's as hypocritical in its values and its principles as I'm seeing here, which is be liberal, be open, you know, all the loving stuff that they want to preach, but not this thing. These guys get to do whatever they want because they're wearing the right colors and they've got the right twirly things in their hair. And they like follow the same book as us, and we we share some ancestors. So not them. That hypocrisy of principle and value was. I was like, that's going to kill Judaism. My, my biggest fear. It's like you know. I feel like I go crazy with these things. Like my biggest fear was most Jews. I don't have the recent polling data, but most Jews vote Democrat, vote liberal. It's still probably the same. The hardcore ones are one issue, and they just vote based on Israel. And growing up, it was always my um, fear, again, was, was noticing this trend that if Israel 
in Judaism aligns itself with America's far right and vice versa. If that's the unholy alliance that's coming here, that's what's going to kill Judaism. And then seeing, what, fast forward, you know, 20 years in my life, seeing Netanyahu literally with a selfie video in the Golan Heights saying that he's going to name a city there after Donald Trump is like, it's hard to not walk down the street being like, I fucking told you so. Like, if this is the state of Judaism that we can't even criticize that in a cartoon in the New York Times without kill, eat, eating ourselves in the ADL, Judaism's done. Forget it. Judaism's done. And so I, I had problems using the term Judaism and the identifiers Judaism. I, I really still don't like doing it. I don't call myself a Jew, not for be, because it has become, and it was clear to me as a child that it was becoming not an ideology, not really a religion, but a political statement and a political position that was getting too intimately tied to positions that I didn't hold and, did, and, and, and ought not to hold. And that, like the danger of a, and you know this from Islam, I'm sure, the danger of a, of a religion becoming a political movement, that's, that's when it's done. That's when you, that's when it, you hope it starts to crumble. And Judaism is, is, is in danger in a post-Holocaust world of becoming a, a political ideology and a political movement. I'm sure people would disagree with me. But if you can't, listen, we can talk about the cartoon again, because I've asked people what specifically is anti-Semitic about that cartoon. And they'll be like, well, I don't know, like, you could always find, like, the Nazis had, like, a cartoon of Jews as a dog somewhere and be like, well, then they should have been a dog. I'm like, fine, change it to, a, like, a, what, what do you want to change it to then? Change the dog. If that's what you think is anti-Semitic, change the dog. What do you want to do, like a chicken or like a, a, a seeing-eye cat? I don't, does that make it better? Netanyahu was a cat wearing the Star of David with Trump, and then it's like, no, no, it was like the Trump yarmulke. Maybe that was it then. It's like, okay, so what's wrong with the Trump yarmulke? Because to me, I read that symbol as like, of course Trump doesn't give a shit about the Jews. We all know that, and he's just going to do what's political. He, he's a dumb, blind idiot in that cartoon who has no idea which way he's going, and Netanyahu is probably a lot more politically savvy and a smarter guy than Trump is leading him and you know so this is like a fake Judaism that Trump is wearing I think that's what it was doing to me but if you think that symbol's holy it's like so again I'm like just tell me how to do it just tell me how to do it if not like we're in real we're in real dire dire straits uh, the, the Jewish people it's going to need to re reinvent itself around some of this somewhere and if it doesn't have the courage to sever itself from its own religious maniacs then forget it like then this is what you're talking about in islam i mean like the the fear that probably you had too in a post 9 11 world which again like i'm pointing to the holocaust a lot and then the post 9 11 world um was that the the less nuanced critics of islam would come after someone who looks like you because they think you're a brown man and you're the bad guy. And the whole idea, the whole Majid's whole work, the film that I made, all of the work that you and I do a lot on that particular topic is to try to draw these lines of like, no, the hashtag not all Muslims, right? It's like, yeah. it's, it's a complicated thing. So if I, me, if I get attacked when the black backlash of Jews happens, which probably will happen again, like, what the fuck? Not me. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. I, I get it, and, I, and I've said the same thing. Like you know, a, a person who's truly bigoted and truly racist is not going to sit there and wait for me to say I'm an ex-Muslim. They don't <laughs> care. I'm brown. You know, you've got the last name Shapiro. Okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're Jewish. You know, like okay, but <laughs> so, like okay, yeah, the, getting to the, <laughs> getting to the um, like just touching on the marriage thing there. Yeah. I mean, like I've heard it, and I've never 
again, I, I you know, like I said, I've got friends and stuff, but th- these kind of things never really came up. Like, you know, I had one friend who did, he, in Vancouver, and he married a, um, you know, whatever, a Gentile, like, you know, like a, a non-Jewish woman. And he brought it up because it's all Jew- Judaism is, you know, maternally passed down, so my kids technically won't be Jews. And I, which again, like, but he he's not lamenting the fact that Jews are going to die out, right? But right. this idea that Jews are going to die out because of interfaith marriage, it's like, okay, well, you know, there is a solution. You can get rid of that matrilineal link, and if the the children are raised in that tradition and they're you know they've had the bris and they've had all that, why are they not Jewish? Like, there is that one thing, right? If it is yeah. an ideology and you know, whatever, and it, it's the same thing of. You know, the white genocide, we're going to be we're going to be bred out of existence by the immigrants. Right. And all, I've, I've, not to interrupt, but I have a question for you, because like we're, we're getting to something where I looked up years ago, Pew Research did a really interesting poll with I think it was just specifically American Jews, but asking it was they had a list and it was sort of the long multiple choice. But what does it mean to be Jewish? And there was a list of things like keeping kosher, believing in God. Um, supporting the state of Israel, there was like this long list, and the results were quite fascinating. What what would be? And it's it's very much not believing in God as like the highest thing. It's you can imagine. I think kosher was actually sort of high, but uh, supporting the state of Israel was very very high, like fifty percent or something or higher. Pulled that that's that's like a, a necessary ingredient ingredient to call yourself a Jew and in, in Jewish. Which by the way, I should also mention like. I'm, I'm critical of Israel. I think Israel has every right to exist. <laughs> Israel, like all, all the things that you want me to say about Israel, I will say. You know, the only state in the Middle East where like gay marriage is allowed. Israel is great. I've been there. I've been there uh, several times, and also I've been to the West Bank. Uh, Israel, hey, Israel's uh, that's where that's where race started. That's where you got ecstasy from. <laughs> yeah, Israel's got a lot of great. It's a beautiful, beautiful. The other thing, as a side note, is like it's probably a lot of post hoc rationalization of God because I always say it's a beautiful place. It's like it's no surprise that every religion in the world was like, hey, you know that really lovely piece of real estate that's on like the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea where everything is beautiful and everything grows. I think God promised that to me. You know, like no one's no one's making the case that like the upper peninsula of Minnesota was promised to me <laughs> very few people. So like there's probably just a lot of just general biology that points us that direction. But Israel's great. I should put that on the on the table. But where do you if I asked you about Islam, like what does it mean to be a Muslim and maybe in a a modern world? I mean this is obviously the struggle of the time, but if we pulled the the world of let's just actually say because that one was well, let's say the whole world. If we pulled, what does it mean to be a Muslim? I imagine the poll result, if you put like accepting Muhammad as the prophet and Allah's God, would get like ninety-eight percent or something. Okay, the most basic form of it is yes, there is no God but Allah. Muhammad is his last prophet, and the Quran is the the revealed word of Allah. If you believe those three, th- I mean that's that's the the profession of faith, right? The Shada. Right. So if you say that in front of three male witnesses. Uh, you know, la, 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 you're uh, yeah, you're you're a Muslim now. Yeah. So that's. Is there any like political? Would it be like it's hard to draw draw an analogy here? Of okay. What has happened to Judaism in a post Holocaust world? See, I mean, okay, Islam. There, any government that follows Sharia, their laws are based on interpretations of the Quran. So you can go to like extreme ones like Saudi Arabia. Uh, some that have some form of Sharia, like Tunisia has a certain form of Sharia and they're, they're getting a little more secular. But at the core of it, they all believe that there is no God but Allah. Muhammad is his prophet. 
and the Quran is the revealed word of God, of God right. right? So you believe that you're a Muslim. Now, at that point, you know, people say, oh, Majid's not a Muslim because he goes to strip clubs. Yeah, the 9-11 attackers went to strip clubs because they knew they were going to get absolved of all their sins. But you can say Majid's uh, not, you know, not practicing or very secular or, you know, your typical, uh, you know, Christian or Jew, it's the, yeah. the, the cafeteria style. Uh, I'm going to pick this, but I'm not going to pick that. You know, I'll pick the in, in Islam. They have the zakat, which is uh, that's the taxes you would actually pay in Muslim countries. But it's it's like a ten, it's a tithe. What about yourself? Like, let alone Majid. I just like to ask about you. Do you you don't call yourself a Muslim, and uh, the reason is very much because no, I I, I I stopped calling myself anything to do with Muslim until recently, and that's even that I just kind of took on. But like when I I stopped believing when I was sixteen. Yeah, um, and, and at that moment, because like, I'm saying like, why don't you call yourself a Muslim? Because uh, if you did, it would demand. No, I I started calling myself a. Uh, uh, cultural Muslim, which I think is wrong because there is no real Muslim culture or a non-practicing Muslim, right? Like that's, that's what I would, I would refer to myself. Okay. Uh, but I changed that. That like points to, if you were meeting someone new for the first time, that would let them know a little, they could picture your upbringing kind of. Uh, kind like, of, yeah. yeah that's yeah. it. Like I said, for, for cool. me, what changed, like for you, what changed was something different. But for me, it was my dad's funeral. The imam oh. at my dad's funeral used the funeral as an opportunity to proselytize to the people who showed up to the funeral and that disgusted me so much like i i was in bosnia when my dad died and i flew out to montreal and same thing in islam the funeral should be held within the first three days as is in judaism right um so there was the day after i got there was the second day uh and then we had the funeral but like the the imam said that and my whole thinking was that islam okay any religion the purpose of a religion is not so much life it's the rules for life so you get a better afterlife right? right and so the funeral should be one of the most important you know ceremonies that are, that is held by the religion and to treat it with that much disrespect to yeah. you know to actually try to convert people who've come here to show mourning and there is no words of solace or anything given to the family no comfort no nothing just how great islam is and you should all join it and at that moment i just said you know what i i i'm an atheist I, I, I don't even want to say I'm a cultural Muslim or a non-practicing Muslim. I did not want to associate myself with that because I found the way that this representative of the religion treated something so important so disrespectfully. Yeah. And, that, and then lately I've, I've used the term ex-Muslim um, just more so, not so much because I want to be associated with it or anything like that. It's just the, the fact that you can get killed for saying you no longer believe or that you can get killed for even questioning that to me i think okay you know what let's bring this out to the forefront and that's yeah. why i'm kind of using that term but you know it's like i said i for me that the islam thing was you know it was never wrapped up in our like, like my parents never wrapped it up as an identity it was never oh if you don't you know believe in the existence of saudi arabia then you're not a muslim like there there is nothing like that really right. you know um islam's always had countries behind it it's always had a stake behind it it in itself, as, a, as it started out, was a political movement as well as a religious movement, right? It was, it was conquest. So, you know, there is none of that. Okay, we had to give Israel back to the Jews, um, and so that that'll be wrapped up in their identity. There was none of that with Islam. So yeah, the, this notion of um, is it like is it even possible to be an ex-Jew is really like what 
is interesting and puts pressure on this because I've had, had plenty of people tell me like that that's impossible or if I say like I'm not Jewish they really want to fight with me my family members sort of included because they insist on it being this thing that is just like you're born with and you can't not be as almost like a race like a like an ethnicity and a lineage that just makes you Jewish and like okay if it it sucks for me, honestly. Like, it, it, it's a shitty thing to just be like cast as something that you cannot escape, especially when you have fears of that thing preceding you in certain conversations in a way that you just wish you could shed. Um, so, but but I guess it's an open question of like, is it? Again, I think it's far too simple to be like, well, Judaism's an ethnicity. It's like, what the fuck do you mean by that? And let's talk about it. Do you mean? I mean, literally, just because my great grandfather had a long beard and wore a yarmulke, which he did, I could send you a picture. You should put it on as like the cover for this one. Oh, send it! Um, I'll use it. Does, yeah, does that make me Jewish? Well, and like again, like almost like you, it's a use when meeting identifiers are so complicated, and with identity politics, things have gotten just so off the rails in conversations about identity. Because I think Sarah Hader's made this point fairly well, actually, that. When we talk about identity politics, when correctly defined, we should, of course, denigrate it and call it this huge error and a big mistake and leads to these horrible things. And so throw it away. Great. I'm on board. But identity, generally, is just a very like different question. So like when, you, when I meet someone for the first time and I get these choices to sort of like, you, we have to use language to kind of broadcast a bit about ourselves, with which really is using language to kind of, as we were doing with each other, they're like paint a picture of who you are to the other person in some way. So yeah, you could see me, of course, so you could already start doing a bunch of profiling really about what my life is like and who I might be based on my hair or the way I shave my, my beard or whatever it is. Um, but then I could start offering you more information and that's, a, that's up to me to decide so I could tell you I'm an Eagles fan. Does that mean anything to you? I'm a Phillies fan. You and I could start battling about sports, just like generally. About, but but me saying that to you, or but if I was Canadian and I said like I'm a huge, uh, you know, Calgary Flames fan, that would mean something different to you. And if I said I'm a huge Calgary Flames fan, but I'm from Toronto, that means something really different to you. Like it starts to you could start you could choose what you want, and then when you get to this inevitable like, okay, should I say I'm? What does it mean if I tell this person across from me I'm Jewish? And for you, like, what does it mean? when I say I'm Muslim. And I find this all the time with people who pick and choose which, which identifiers they're going to use based on sort of who they're talking to. I think that sort of makes sense in a lot of ways. It's just sort of a utility practice. If I decide, you know, actually, like if you meet someone especially who's maybe even you, you're thinking might be, have a, have a, has a similar experience to you on earth, you might be more willing to use the identifier because they know what it means and all the caveats that come come with it. Like if I meet someone and say I'm, and I decide to say like I'm Jewish or I was raised Jewish in Allentown in a suburb, like there's certain people that I could use that too and they it paints a picture to them that starts to get closer to reality of my life of like, oh, okay, like probably had a bar mitzvah and like pressure to go to Israel as a teenager and know what a Seder is, and at home have a little yarmulke with my name in it and the date of my bar mitzvah. I do. I think they were silver. Uh, my brothers were yellow. Maybe I'm not reversing that already. Uh, but just like generally that stuff. And then you can make like jokes about that. You know, like 
then there's a familiarity where you can start making jokes about what it was like eating your grandmother's kugel and stuff like that that are like weird insider jokes that can be kind of fun. But in certain circles and in certain situations, I don't want to use the identifier Jewish because it's like, again, like precedes a whole conversation that you might not want to have, in particular with Judaism about Israel. But rarely, and this is why maybe it's complicated about Jews and Muslims, and why there seems to be, we'll get to this too, maybe an overcorrection from some of the ex-Muslims that I see who are fervently defending Israel. But we, let's let's get to that in a minute, because um, I think you and, you and I have both seen that. But I never do the calculus in my head of like, if I say, well, maybe in some circles, but if I say Jewish and I use that identifier, I'm also broadcasting that like I believe in God and metaphysical claims about heaven and hell and all kind, or casting aspersions about what I think about non-Jews, right? Like I worry less about that most times when I use the word Jew, if I decide to use it as an identifier to myself, I want to be able to use it as you were sort of suggesting, just as sort of like, this will give you a more accurate picture of my upbringing and sort of who I am and my random lottery of life on earth. But that has, is getting more complicated in, in Judaism. And then I, I think actually, to throw it back to you, I'm interested, I think everything I just talked through is probably impossible to say the word Muslim, or that's the fight that Islam is going through at the moment, to be able to use that and pick and choose without saying, I'm a Muslim, and then, then be immediately being like, oh, you believe in God, right? Like, yeah, okay, the Muslim thing, again, because of, with Judaism, it is locked in, like, you know, I think it's 23andMe or Ancestry, that it'll say you're X percent Jewish, right? They'll actually right. give you a DNA score on that, which is, I found that very bizarre. Okay, but you know, so it like saying you're Jewish does have some of that wrapped up into it. But then again, I think about like, okay, well then, does Sammy Davis Jr. get the right to claim all that because he converted? (laughs) You know, ask those religious Jews (laughs) about. Yeah, they they would say no. Okay, but like with the Muslim thing, it is because you know, I have family who were from Yemen that emigrated to Saudi. And I've met them, and for them to be a Muslim is different than my family in India or Pakistan, right? It's two, they share a religion in common, yeah, but two very separate cultures, except since about 1980, with more money coming in from Saudi, yeah. that the, this gradual change took up until about the end of the 90s, start of the 2000s, then it started getting a little bit more radical and, and, going, and changing faster at a faster yeah. rate. So there is no real Muslim culture. There is a specific Arab culture. Cause, and then this is something you know, Yaz and I agree on and we other people disagree with us about it. The, you know, the, the, the term Arabization, mm-hmm. right? I can understand it as far as language goes because I've seen that in India. They've changed the language a little bit to use more Arabic words and Persian words in Urdu. Just silly things. Uh, but the Arabs themselves had their culture wiped out 1400 years ago by the Quraysh tribe. And it was a specific culture of that tribe that took over the Arabian Peninsula. And now you have things like Somalia being considered an Arab country. And like, what rights is Somalia an Arab country, right? It's just not. But then, you know, they talk about the Arabization of South Asia because you start seeing the hijab, you start seeing more niqabs, you start seeing more guys wearing with the long beards and the skull caps and all that. And yes, it is Arab spreading it and it is, you know, but 
it is a specific Arab culture that's being spread. It is because they all had different cultures. And so what you're seeing in South Asia now, and I know I'm getting really off topic, but what you're seeing in South Asia now is what happened to the Arabian cultures 1400 years ago. Yeah. So to call yourself an Arab, uh, to call yourself a Muslim and say there's like a Muslim identity, I mean, they, they talk about the ulema and there was always, oh, help the Muslims wherever you can. I mean, that's how, you know, the Mujahideen, that was a call to get them to come to Afghanistan. Uh, I mean, a silly thing, my family, when I went to Bosnia to work with the military, I, oh, you're going helping out Muslims. And then when I changed from Bosnia to Afghanistan, it's like, oh, you're fighting Muslims. And it was, it was really weird. So there is some kind of, we're all Muslims, so we should help each other. But there's no like real cultural identity. Like to say yeah. Jewish, unless, you know, I, I know people sometimes specifically say Israeli because, you know, they were continuously from there or spent, you know, instead of coming, like like people who come over from Eastern Europe, those Jewish traditions are not really some of the traditions in Israel. Like, I mean, I don't yeah. think they eat, you know, gefilte fish in Israel. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. that, that's it's a- starting to splinter in a way of like, it, it may be, I mean, uh, it may just be a size problem where there's just not that many Jews. And so the term hasn't needed to split itself up. I mean, I'm trying to do it. Like, a, yeah, like being an American suburban post-Holocaust Jew, third generation now, is a, it's a specific thing that is very different. I'm in Brooklyn, right? Like, there's, there's more Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn than all of Israel. Me, like, can you call me and my culture as a Jew? Is that, like, do I really have anything in common with, like, you know, uh, the Shlomo who lives across the street is probably, like, my landlord who went to, a, like, a yeshiva and lived a very different life from me? Is it fair to, like, say that we have something in common as close to just say like we're both Jews like at, at, the word means different things in different contexts and in that context uh, it's it's hard to point it's hard to point to what I have in common with that person that is more than like I've already mentioned some things like it, if there's someone else from a suburban American city who like liked indie music in high school and is a Phillies fan I probably like have more in common in, on those identifiers than I do with this guy who speaks Yiddish, who lives in in East Williamsburg, who you know, like, what what would we talk about really? What would he and I really talk about that would connect us immediately? If when I tell him I'm Jewish, he probably assumes something very different than when I tell someone else. So I don't know the the identifier. It might, it, so it might just be a size issue though, because like I, I imagine that's what's happening with Muslims. Where yeah, what is a Muslim culture? You're literally talking about like. Some yeah, someone in Somalia versus someone in you know Bangladesh versus in Indonesia versus in Chicago, and what really ties all that? I'm not sure. The Jewish thing does have sort of a line where if that's the only thing you knew about me, you could probably guess some things that were just as far as like culturally correct, or like where my grandparents came from or whatever. How informative that is, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's a really, it's a different game, and it's hard to. As one more anecdote, like before you answer, because I'm curious about shifting the conversation to what I see as the overcorrection from ex-Muslims who are fervently, uh, like, up in arms and defending like this this outrage against anti-Semitism. And I told you, I feel like there's some overcorrection there. Um, my girlfriend is is uh, uh, ex-Muslim. She she has no problems using the word as well, and she came home with me 
Passover. And the first time she came over with me over Passover, she was looking through my photo albums, and she obviously <laughs> knows me well. We're in a romantic relationship together. And she was like going through my photo albums as a kid, the first time she saw them, and was seeing like me in Hebrew high school, and my, in my, me and my bar mitzvah, and like all the, my confirmation, all these things. And she was like, I didn't know you were so Jewish. Right? And so she like used the word Jewish because in her sort of analogy growing up in the tradition she grew up in, um, it's like that, you know, there isn't, it's not an analogy of like, oh, this was totally like a non-religious participation in the family and it was this other totally different thing. So that immediately, just like not understanding just how, I don't know, unique (laughs) the Jewish thing is that you could see all this stuff and be like, you're really Jewish. And I had to be like, yeah, my family's super Jewish, but not religious at all. And it's like, wait, what does that even mean? And then, then it leads to all these conversations about, like, what does it mean to be Jewish? And it very much is tied into this, like, support Israel no matter what. And any criticism of Israel you ought to be really, really skeptical of, and it's probably anti-Semitism. Like, all, that, all the stuff we've been talking about just gets wrapped around that spindle really, really tightly. And then immediately you're like, oh, oh shit, like, this is hard to talk about. Yeah. But, okay, like, I think, I mean, the... Everything else aside, I think you're saying, okay, well, how do I identify myself? If we were having this conversation 10 years ago, let's just say, I don't think that identifier would have been that big an issue because you could have come up with something generic and said, okay, I'm an American, let's just say, or I'm a New Yorker or whatever, right? But I think because of this importance put on identity now, that you have to become so specific and it's, I mean, it, it is ridiculous that, you know, someone, you're, you're saying, well, how do I identify myself so that people know where I'm coming from? And I don't think that that's ever going to be possible. Like, we shouldn't have to worry about what is my identity? Like, why should your identity be a feature of what all your politics, you know, where you stand on social issues, economic issues, why should that, you know, like, why why does your identity have to be something that describes all that? It could just be, look, I'm an American, or you know, for myself, I consider myself a Canadian. You know, like, I was, yes, I was born in India, but I moved here when I was six. I'm 50 now, or I'm going to be 50 this year. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I'm a Canadian. Like, you know, I, I get excited about this stupid beer commercial from the 90s where this guy got up and did this big long rant and said, my name is Joe and I'm Canadian. And it was like, okay, Canadians get excited over a beer commercial, right? We get excited over hockey. So all the rest of it, you know, if if someone looks at me and goes, okay, you're brown, so you must vote, you know, in this direction, you must support this, you must support that. And they talk to me and I, some of those things I do support, some of them I don't. And they're like, well, how could you not support that? Being that, you know, like, uh, I, I hear it a lot, like, now, too, like, with, with Muslims. And I've done this stupid thing myself. And it's like, how can you be gay and say you're Muslim? You know, I understand that th- th- what Islam says about homosexuality. But if someone's found a way to make that, you know, make that adjustment and rationalize that them to themselves and they can, you know, they can find some sort of comfort or whatever, more power to them. Like, what I'm trying to get at is, like, I don't think the struggle to find what an identity that tells people exactly what you are, I think, it, and not you just specifically, but I, I think all of us should just forget about that and just say, okay, 
you know, here's what I am. Talk to me about other things. I mean, I'll give you one really bizarre example, and it's just totally kind of funny. I was working in Afghanistan, and there were a lot of French soldiers on the base at the time. And a lot of, a lot of them would start talking in French to, around me, you know, at the next table or something, just thinking, okay, he's brown, he doesn't speak French. And then I was working for a French company, and some of the guys from the French, you know, it was coffee break or something, and they would come up, they'd see me, and they'd come sit with me, and they'd start talking French to me. And so these French soldiers, all of a sudden, like, oh my God, he spoke French. And like, what did we say? You can just see it going through their head. Did we say anything that, you know, critical or whatever, right? And it's just like, so, and I mean, I, I do it. I stereotype people. Everyone does it. You look at someone and you say, okay, this person probably does this, you know, X, probably votes Democrat or Republican, or whatever, right? But once you... The whole point of it should be to start talking to people. I mean, if you're going to have an identity of any kind, it should just be as an opener to say, you know, yeah, hey, my name's Jay. I'm, you know, like if you're at a cocktail party or something like, yeah, well, you just introduce yourself and you have a conversation. That That's all it should be. I think we're too hung up on what our identity tells about us. Like, I, 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 I don't know. Well, I mean, that's, of course we are, but I think it's not going to, go away. And I, actually, I'm going to say, I don't think it should go away. What should go away is the, well, because if someone comes up and says, like, certain identifiers do announce and should announce what they think about things and politics. If someone comes up and says, hey, like, I'm the Grand Knight of the KKK, or like, I'm a proud member, uh, proud neo-Nazi, like, you don't need to be like, oh, cool, like, what do you think about, <laughs> like, I'm not going to make any judgment based on that. That's like an announcement that carries with it, I mean, proudly in that case, a set of ideas that we can talk about. And that's that's where it's like, yes, to, to I think it would be lovely if you could come up with, I, I, if there's identifiers that are void of that, or that should be void of that, and then are not infected by that, that's that'd be great, right? Like saying, which is what race really ought to be, right? Saying, hey, I'm black, that should be a blank statement, right? It should be like that doesn't carry with it a bunch of, here's my ideological positions on all this. Yeah. But, but, that, but that's like saying I'm, um, it's what we've been getting at of saying, like, can you do that if you say, like, I'm Muslim? What does that carry with it inherently? And should it? And is the whole issue to be like it carries nothing with it other than just sort of guessing what kind of food that your grandmother served when you went home for holidays, which is nice it's like a nice conversation immediately you could start making jokes with people and you could start having some common ground there if it just describes your accidental tract in life but not your ideas that would be great i think islam is in in the word muslim is nowhere close to that the way that judaism it is which is why it's like it and and in some ways that's why it might survive but that's where like me noticing that oh that's that's in trouble and if that goes away, you've really infected this thing to a point where if I, if I say I'm Jewish and then you're like, here's the politics that come with that, then we're screwed. Um, yeah, I, I don't know like how, how close close we are to that. But, you know, I, identity is um, – I, I'm a big fan of Amy Chua's book. I probably mentioned it to you before, Political Tribes, where she makes a pretty compelling and strong case that I'm sort of dancing around of identity being – um, I mean, not just something that won't go away because it's evolutionary ingrained in us, but maybe it shouldn't. It's like we get a lot of beauty and joy out of uh, identity, and hopefully the whole idea, almost like a Peter uh, Singer thing with the expanding moral arc or the expanding moral, moral circle, is the, 
the challenge is to try to expand our moral circle and our moral identity to where we all identify as just human or as just sentient creatures or just the universe itself. Something so big where everybody's in your tribe, that's not easy work. You know, I'm a big fan of, um, as an anecdote of sport, you know, we, a lot of these kind of podcast people, of course, know my work in these circles from the film with Sam and Majid, but very few people know about my film about baseball in Uganda. And so Uganda is a place, I am clearly not Ugandan. I know this is just audio, but believe me, I do not look like a Ugandan. Uh, I'm not Ugandan. But you go to Uganda, East Africa, which is a, a part of the world that has fascinating history, obviously, just like everywhere. And, you know, the tribal conflicts and the identifiers that they use with each other are things that are, like, literally invisible to me. And probably to you, like the Buganda tribe that hates the Acholi tribe that hates this tribe or likes this tribe, like the things that happen, like I, you, I would never be able to see it. I probably can't even hear the differences in the language, but they are real. They are real deal identifiers there. Um, like that, that's, that's real and that's fascinating. And so I made a film about, and, and, and bad and troubling because th that's a thing where your identity obviously becomes a target of your sort of bloodline being good or bad or pure or whatever and you know we could talk about Rwanda if you want but like it's um, it goes off the rails in ways that are that make our identity politics anxieties look you know like like just bitching about nothing it's quite awful there um, and then something like I was working with this, this baseball program which is not you know a popular game there and Amy even in her book writes about sports as she writes about like super tribes or non uh, you know talks about nations hopefully being these kind of super tribes, but tribes that almost supersede the local kind of religious tribes or ethnic tribes that get us into all these trouble. It's like, if you're on a baseball team in Uganda and you're a Choli and you're the second baseman and you need to turn a double play and your shortstop is from the Buganda tribe or the Nyankoli tribe or whatever it is, you don't care. You're on the same team there. It's like sports. I'm a big fan of sport as an, a, a, hopefully a practice to develop new, totally artificial tribes, right? It's just laundry colors. I think Seinfeld used to have a joke about rooting for sports team as like rooting for laundry because it's like we're making up the tribes. But there's a usefulness and utility to the practice of, of establishing artificial tribes that totally ignore let's call it like, you know, the real tribes that these kids come from, whether they're religious or whether they're ethnic. And he's on your team now. And you need your teammate to cooperate with you to, to achieve the goal, which in that case is turning a double play and winning the game and scoring more points than your opponent on the other tribe. So through that practice, can you start to see the absurdity of the other tribes? You know, like, can you start to see the absurdity of saying, I don't like that kid because he's young, young Kole, or, or that's a Muslim family and we're a Christian family, and so we don't get along. But it's like, you realize how ridiculous those things are when the goal becomes scoring more points than the other team. Again, something totally artificial that us humans decide. Then, then you see just how flimsy those tribes are. And if we could, I mean, that, that lends itself to a deeper philosophical question. If we, if we could start talking about what's the goal outside of the sport, you know, uh, microcosm that we're talking about, the goal of life, and these kind of things, then hopefully if you define those goals as broadly and beautifully as possible, let's just use like an easy scientific one, NASA announced that we're going back to the moon. I actually put out a cool little YouTube video about it, I really like it. That's a cool scientific uh, goal that something like Carl Sagan would be a fan of, we should, all, you know, 
we miss the days of the 60s when we all got behind something like that. But there's a goal. Okay, let's do it. We sort of made it up as humans. Let's do it. Let's go go to the moon. How do we do it? Well, we're going to have to cooperate and work together. And if you're the engineer who's working on the thrusters, and I'm the engineer that's working on, you know, the the nose or whatever, we we better we better do it. We better cooperate on some level. And it doesn't matter that you're brown and I'm white. Let's do this thing. So if we can define our goals outside of the sport analogies and maybe where we can learn some of these things and practice some of these things, then maybe we could start to break down, as you're suggesting we ought to, the absurdity of these stupid identities that just keep getting us into trouble with what it, you know, who you can work with and what, whose politics are what and all that stuff. So anyway, I don't know how that no. film will, will work out, but you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in using those kinds of... Um, practices to yeah to, to hijack some of that evolutionary residue that we like teams we like tribes but let's try to actually build ones that aren't based on these arbitrary ethnic religious lines yeah okay i mean I'll, 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 a lot of that you know i agree with i mean the, yeah okay yes i want to know someone is the grand high wizard of the kkk <laughs> you know, yes I, I do want to know that 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 i but, haven't I mean, told that about myself yeah I'm, you know or you know, like, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, you know, the, that someone is high up in the Muslim Brotherhood. I'd right. like to know that as well. You know, but that isn't like, you know, being a KKK member or being a Muslim Brotherhood member, that's such a tiny identity. Like, it's such a tiny percentage of people who are actually doing that, right? Um. But I was getting more at like, okay, you saying I'm Jewish, and then yes, that that has you know, you know, then someone could ask like, if 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 you said okay, I'm Jewish, someone has said okay, are you a Reformed Jew? Are you conservative? Are you Orthodox? Are you Hasidic? Same thing. Like, if I say I'm Muslim, and someone you know say I was still practicing and I was still believing, and I said I'm a Muslim, you know, someone then who asked me are are you Shia or are you Sunni? At least that shows me that they have that little bit of understanding. And they're trying to figure out, okay, because a blanket statement like I am a Muslim or I am a Jew or I'm a Christian or whatever, right? It leaves, it has so many other variables underneath that, that yes, you can try to go by that. And that's a way to ask, you know, ascertain what some, you know, what someone's beliefs are. It, you know, the, the, the whole sports thing, um, it reminded me in South Africa and it, it was like a, fictional historical stuff I'd read and they I think they used a, a real case that had happened but just changed all the names and so you know it was rugby's a big thing in South Africa Invictus I mean no no, a- no it was it was, before, it, was oh. in, it was something I'd read in the, the early 80s um, and so you know rugby's a big thing and so you had you know black black players who were given that jersey and I was still you know once a year they were allowed to come back put that jersey on they were accepted in society because they'd been part of that team and the whole black thing and white thing didn't take effect there right so yeah if you could take that and then you know like you said let's put it out generally what do we have common let's you know if we want to have an identity like you know we're we're straight go ahead yeah, I was. I mean, this is like, if you don't mind me interrupting, because I, I, I want your thoughts on this. This is actually like really crucial. Uh, um, I wrote about this somewhere else, but the because when we were talking about our identities, and you want to use Canadian, which, which might be a really uh, 
good one right now. It's like, I don't know, there's not a lot that comes with saying you're Canadian right now other than the sort of nice stuff, <laughs> which is lovely. But as a small anecdote, after, I, as an American, I worry about, so after, to bracket this, Amy also talks about nations, like I said, as being potentially really useful and valuable super tribes that can overcome or squelch the lower ethnic religious tribes. So a place like Uganda um, doesn't have a strong national tribe. You see the flag when you're there, but and it makes total sense. It's like, if you ask someone in Uganda, uh, who are you, what are you, like, whatever, the identity, you rarely get Ugandan high on the list, honestly. Maybe that's for some geographical reasons as well. But it's also because what does that identifier actually do or mean in the world? Not much, and even to them. And frankly, the identifier of Uganda is like, you know, it's not a great sort of myth about the narrative of what it means to be a Ugandan. To borrow some of Yuval Harari's language, like nations are just myths, right? Like we make them up. They only exist in our heads. If all the humans on earth died right now and never existed again, so with Uganda would never be a thing. It's just it's something we're, we're making up. It's like the value of money. So what is that myth made out of? Well, Uganda, it's like, okay, pretty much the British left in 1957 gave us a country and it's only brought us war and havoc and a shitty dictator. So it's not like a great story anyway. There's some patriotic Ugandans, but they're very aspirational about what it could be or should be or whatever. But then shift that to like America as a super tribe. So it, actually to bracket that, that's also probably why if Uganda had a stronger national identity, maybe that would do a lot of work to squelch some of the tribal identities that they're still struggling really being attached to and, and leading to a lot of political and, and other kinds of strife. Um, it's it, They've never had a team in the World Cup. Maybe they will one day. I think it would be a big event for them. The country would get together, maybe. But sports is an interesting vehicle to tie national identities together, hopefully in a way that, that is helpful. Obviously, we know it can go wrong as well. But so after 9-11... Um, this question of why do they hate us was everywhere, as we know, and, and these the, the questions of our identity versus their identity and these big things were coming out um, and just on everyone's mind. My parents put an American flag over our garage. It's just a small, you know, little American flag. They put it over our garage, which is something that I would never imagine them doing. They probably would have never imagined them doing in their whole lives. Like, we weren't a very patriotic family. We were living in the in the very, you know, easy 80s and 90s where we didn't think about this kind of stuff, 9-11 hits, and they put an American flag up. Within three months, I think, they, they took it down. Because within three months, the symbol of the American flag seemed to suggest, as we're mentioning here, a set of policies, very specifically at that time, probably in favor of the Iraq war or something, that they just didn't subscribe to. And I think that's still held. This is certainly true... If, if you're on the highway now, I've done sort of this thought experiment before, and I still think it holds true. If you're on the highway now, even I'm in New York, right? So if I'm in New York and I'm driving on the highway, and I'll try to eliminate some of the other variables. A car pulls in front of me, let's say not a pickup truck, it's just a regular sedan, so like a Toyota or something, and it's got an American flag bumper sticker on the back. Do I immediately start associating certain political guesses, as you're saying, stereotypes to the driver of that car based on just the American flag on the back. If, if I had to guess, if you put a gun to my head and said, guess who they, that person in front of you voted for in the last election, I would vote, I would guess Donald Trump to save my life. Would you? Would most people here? I, I bet they would. I might be wrong. 
but the fact that that symbol, the American flag, suggests that, you know, is the only, if given the only information I have, let's say they have a pickup truck, I'm a little more confident in my guess, other things, but just the flag, I'm going to guess Trump, I think that's a problem, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm fearful of it. I'm wondering now, with the Judaism thing and the symbols that we're talking about, because when we're talking about identity, we're talking about, we're talking about symbols. A lot of times we're talking about linguistic symbols, but we're also talking about visual symbols. I'm talking about the American flag. When you're talking about cartooning and art and what's anti-Semitic or not, you're talking about symbols. Back to that New York Times uh, cartoon in question, the Star of David being around his, the neck of the dog or the yarmulke as a symbol or whatever. If, that, if, I, if I'm behind a car on the highway and I see a Star of David on the car in front of me, I'm, I'm not sure what I think of that person. Honestly, and, and I don't know what that symbol means. If I see it around someone's neck, like I'm not sure at the moment what the symbol of that means. I don't know if there's an analog to this in Islam because drawing the Prophet has been so outlawed. You could wear the crescent or this or that. Seeing a hijab is certainly a symbol uh, that you can associate. Okay, with or I mean, I've seen it. You know, they'll have like a. They will. Have, I've seen bumper stickers and stickers on dashboards of the the crescent moon. Okay. Yeah. What What do you think? I, I mean, I'm really curious. Uh, okay. If If I see that, you know, okay, this person's a Muslim. How Muslim are they? Yeah. And, what, and again, again, when I say how Muslim are they, like how 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 strictly do they believe? Like yeah. in my house, in my apartment, um, mainly because I was overseas most of the time. I've owned this place, and my mom was technically homeless, so. Yeah. <laughs> It's a long story. She wasn't really homeless people. But uh, I said, you know, just live in my place. And uh, it's it's downtown. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, Arabic calligraphy. There's And there's things that I bought her. Uh-huh. I bought her, like, some uh, a verse from the Quran that this guy had done in um, in Turkey. He'd done it on the, the leaf of some plant. And it's, like, really beautifully yeah. done and looks really nice. <clears throat> and I got that for her. I mean, I... So if I see something, like... It doesn't necessarily mean that they're religious, so I I, I know that. But what does it mean by them having just the crescent moon? Like, I would think that they are more religious than others. I would think that they would hold more strictly to the faith. But does that mean that they're going to force their daughters and wives and whatever into niqabs? No, maybe not. Yeah, but like I said, it's there is in North America. It's a little different because. I think that, you know, the, the Muslim population, both the United States and Canada, is smaller than the Jewish population. And, and you know what? You know what really complicates this. And this again is like, like it was intentional at all. It's just so complicated with Judaism. Is that symbol is on the flag of Israel? In fact, someone took up my challenge and really tried to do it with the dog of that of that um, cartoon. And and there I could. I can send it to you when I'm done. I forget who it was. It was just a, someone random on Twitter, but I appreciate them trying to take up the effort. And they tried, when they were playing with it in their like little version of Photoshop, they changed what was around the dog's neck to, to sort of just the circle, but it was now the Israeli flag, which looks almost identical, but it had the two blue bars at the top and then the Star of David in the middle. And it was like just that little shift was interesting. But like it's it's again, this wasn't probably intentional by the state of Israel, but to uh, to put the symbol of the religion or a symbol of the religion on your flag 
immediately starts to blur the lines between criticizing the religion versus criticizing criticizing the state. This Pakistan, of course, is the analog here that did the same exact thing, right? It's like we have we whether that's intentional or not, or just a happy accident. It definitely uh, is a statement that becomes uh, provocative. <laughs> I mean, okay, but sorry, don't want to cut you off. But when you mentioned that, no, no. like when you talked about the bumper sticker with the Star of David, I wanted to ask yeah. you then, like, I'm like, well, it could mean they're Israeli. It could mean they're Israeli. It could be like, and, <laughs> then, and that becomes then like, wait, can I criticize Israel without criticizing? And then it, it's a really big challenge for a cartoonist to be like, how do you criticize Pakistan without like using the crescent? Yeah. Or if you do, you're going to get a whole bunch of Muslims coming after you, calling you an Islamophobe. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, so this problem, this is also why that analogy of the like, leave alone the Charlie Hebdo thing, but of of feeling like there's an overcorrection from some ex-Muslims. You would think uh, there would be, I, I couldn't. I, if you can send me a cartoon of someone criticizing like mullahs or, or whatever certain imams in Pakistan who preach stuff and they drew a cartoon lambasting this person as some like, you know, uh, awful, ridiculous thing or some warmonger or something and use the crest. And I'm sure it's out there. Oh yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. And if somebody got up in arms calling it like, this is Islamophobic, this is total anti-Muslim bigotry because look, look, like you drew the crescent and maybe there's like a big nose or a beard on the sky, and this is like to me. I just want I just want some of the ex-Muslims out there to understand. That I know Judaism is unique, and that's what we've been talking about here. And maybe unique for good reasons. That's how they sound like to me when they criticize this cartoon. Being like, what did you want him to do? He's trying to criticize specifically yeah. the religious thing. So he's using the Star of David, and no, no, yeah, looks I, like I get that. it. Okay, what did but. You want? <laughs> I'll describe you one cartoon, and I think it was done by uh, Sidney Wilkinson. Okay. I could be wrong, uh, but it was really funny. It was a um, three women in niqabs walking down a catwalk, and it was like uh, misog- you know, misogyny, Miss Can't Drive, Miss Waiting to Learn How to Read, and it was, and then a couple of mullahs sitting in the audience, and it was like the Miss, the Miss Islam Beauty Contest or something like that, right? Hmm. And so... They were all in the cobs, and you had the mullah sitting up front. You didn't have the crescent moon. Now, I found that very funny because, you know, and it's sad because that is the state of women in, you know, a lot of Muslim-majority countries. Uh, I, and I can get where you're coming from with the with the overcorrection thing, you know, on the exposition. And I'll get back to that in a second, but I want, like, the thing with the American flag, like, what does that mean? I think part of the problem here is we are ascribing to symbols. We are letting the worst of the other side gain ownership of symbols and we're giving them up. Um, yeah. it, it's like the stupid thing, like the, the, the okay symbol, that's white power. Yeah. And that started off as a 4chan piece of crap, right? Yeah. And then there was this, the, the, what, there's a, there was an article out the other day, a school in Chicago delayed the... The, the, the yearbook coming out because they had to edit out a, a picture of some guy making that hand thing. And there was the one at the Cubs game where the I guy, know, okay, and I'm, I'm like, life or, something. You know, like or now they're, they're saying, okay, look out for people with the thumbs up emoji in their uh, Twitter profile because What's that, that uh, because apparently that's now also white supremacist. Jeez. Okay. Now <clears throat> we're, why are you letting people, you know, I think the okay sign is kind of universal. Everyone yeah. around the world uses that. Um, it's just exhausting. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you with like why you're letting. Because are you saying my parents should have kept the flag up 
and then been like, and maybe I should have been like, no, keep the flag up. Like, fuck that. If someone challenges you, be like, no, I don't support this like Bush administration move. Like, but that's my country. Exactly. You know, I mean, don't fuck yourself. <laughs> the first time I heard about something like this, I was 14 and I, I was visiting yeah. my uncle in Switzerland and my aunt is German. So we'd gone to Stuttgart where her mother lives. And then I was with her, you know, with her mom, with her mom. And I was walking around, we were walking around Stuttgart and she pointed out, you know, okay, this house has a French flag. This house has this. She goes, but if anyone put up a German flag, we're called Nazis. And this was West Germany at the time, right? Because I was still split in the East and West Germany. And at 14, I found that so insane. Like, what do you mean? You put up a flag and automatically you're a Nazi? I said, it's not even, you know, it's, it wasn't a swastika or anything. It was a West German flag. (laughs) You know, like, so... I found I've always found this kind of stuff ridiculous and that's what I'm saying like why are you letting them keep you know take ownership of a symbol that you know if you're a proud American and you can be a proud American and dislike everything your president's doing you can still respect your country and say I wish my country would get back to this I don't like my president and and you're not you know like one of these people like Oh, he's not my president. Be it, you know, the last two, like Trump or Obama. You had people on either side saying, not my president. No, okay, but I'm an American. Okay, well, if you're an American, then you have to accept the fact that he's your president. That's in your constitution, for Christ's sakes. You know, like, you know, the... the, Yeah. So, like I'm saying, if if we want to have identity, if we want to have that, don't let other people ruin it for you. That's, well, to to a certain degree, yeah, but to a certain degree, at some point, Symbols are again. They're 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 most often their uh, you know their utility is to broadcast externally to the community. So at some point, you this is almost like brings me back to you know I was lucky enough to have uh, John McWhorter and Stephen Pinker on stage with me, and we ended up talking about linguistics. And actually, Coleman Hughes, who's my co-host on my, my new project, asked them about this term Latin X. Which I had never heard. None of us actually on stage had heard. See, you've heard of it apparently. Oh, yeah. None of us had heard of it, but it was apparently, if I'm explaining it correctly, a term that because Latina and Latino are gendered, which is just sort of an accident of Spanish, I suppose, it was to like to try to come up with a non-gendered identifier for for someone of Latin descent. If I'm getting this all correct, <laughs> Latinx, and uh, we were all sort of like. You know, none of us were like a fan of this game, but they were like, "Listen, like it's not up to us actually. Like if this catches on, then fucking fine. Like you know, it's not up to us. It's like whatever works. Like language is fluid and symbols are fluid. So, like to your point, I'm thinking of like the Confederate flag. We've been talking about the American flag, the Israeli flag, the Canadian flag. What they mean, what they might mean, what they should mean. Uh, I don't like Japan had the imperial flag, which you don't see anymore. Germany had their flag. Like it, they all become interesting symbols. Um, where then like something like the Confederate flag is so complicated and becomes this hot button issue because you're like, hmm, is this almost like what I was mentioning to you of like, oh, if I use the identifier that I'm in the KKK, you're allowed to subscribe, like you're allowed to put ideology in it and then disagree with it outright. Or I could say like, no, 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 I'm not that kind of KKK member. You'd be like, well then, what the, what, what's your fucking problem? <laughs> like the Confederate flag might have its own legacy like woven into it that is just too tied to it where it's like yeah actually like you can't have that one and flying that one announces something that I know what you wanted to do but it's not up to you actually like becomes the confederate flag is an interesting one but I think there's a difference between you know post 9-11 the American flag 
yeah. and the Confederate flag. Like you said, the Confederate flag. Yeah, but I mean, in this day and age, it has you know a history behind it and has certain connotations attached to it that you're never going to get rid of. And I'm not arguing one way or another whether you should or not. But the American flag, if you like, it, it it's now almost you know a fait accompli that it's given up that if you have it you're this ultra nationalistic right wing and I'm saying let's stop let's not give them let's not give the other side that power over these symbols because symbols do have power but you should be able to show your patriotism or your love for your country you know regardless of where you are without that connotation but I mean it's like I said it's you're it's starting to get attached to everything you're, you're starting to you know everything needs a symbol like you know like or you can't have those symbols or to me, it's just another form of censorship. It's just, and it's stupidly based. But I'm saying it just gets, it's, it's exhausting because if you want to be the one fighting for the symbol, you're the one who's going to have to have that conversation all the time. Yeah, I know. If if I'm the one who wants to like retake the American flag as, as, because I, so like to your point, I do consider myself patriotic. And if someone's like, what does that mean? Because even that is like a, a linguistic symbol where it's like, are you a Trump fan? It's like, if I want to have that conversation, it's like, no, actually, Jill Lepore has a great book out called um, These Truths that I've read about a, a, a bit of. It's a really long book. I, I really want to finish it. Um, but it's, it's a history of, of America and rather it seems comprehensive and ambitious, but sets out. The you know like if I want to say I'm patriotic, or what that means to me, it's like well, what America's striving for, the ideals of America as I define them, or maybe as the founders sort of first designed that symbol and, and wove in all of these ideas, is is a is a as we were talking about before like a goal that is worthy. It's a worthy goal to aim for what America is striving for, the beacon on the hill kind of thing. We're clearly not there. We weren't there when they, uh, the start of her book is like when on page one they're printing the Constitution, I think it was a newspaper that, that you know, printed the, the, the preamble and the Bill of Rights and it's like all men are created equal and then on page four there's like a slave auction. <laughs> like clearly this has always been a struggle of like here's the ideal, that's what America, you hope the symbol is, is like this is what we're striving for. And we've written this down in this beautiful document. It's not perfect, but here it is. And we're nowhere close, but we're trying to get there. Like, and if that's what I want that symbol to mean to me, which it is, and what I hope it does, then yeah, I would love to reown the flag. But I'm the one, if I'm walking around Brooklyn with an American flag t-shirt and I get stopped by someone, assuming I'm a Trump supporter or something, I'm the one who has to have this long conversation that I just had with you. And frankly, that just gets a little exhausting sometimes. So even like my last name, Shapiro, is this symbol of like, oh, you're Jewish. And it's like the times that I've wanted to just strip the last name away and be like, do I need to tell you? Because it's like, it, it, like it, I'm the one who has to have this conversation. Maybe it's gotten a little better, but in a lot of parts of the world, it's like Shapiro. Oh, so you think like Israel should own the Middle East or something. Yeah. And then, like, all right, I need to tell you what it mean, my last name means to me. And it, but so I, if I said I'm Jay Shapiro and I'm Jewish, that's a little different. But like the, the, the symbols that we carry around willingly or not are the one. Maybe that's the most annoying ones that we're talking to are the symbols that I don't get any choice in. I could change my last name, I suppose. But if someone's telling me I can't become an ex-Jew, then, then like, you know, these are problematic symbols. This, this is the start of the problem. If it's like, if, if this is an identity that you cannot choose to no longer 
subscribe to, then then we have a, a real issue with those identifiers. Yeah, okay. But, and again, like I'm not asking anyone to go back and, and whatever, go back and take back the American flag or, but you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm saying let's nip it in the when you see this kind of stuff starting. So that's what I'm trying to do. With and, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think you know you're at a. I think you're further behind on this one than you are on the American flag. Uh, well, but, I, I don't know. I don't know how to rescue Judaism from its own self. Anyway, yeah, but, I'm not religious. Like, what what does it mean to be to be Jewish in a way that I would actually defend and promote? You know, I'm an atheist, so already you've lost me at all of that. Most of it, you've lost me at honestly. So yeah, the metaphysical. Like, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not the best defender of that one for you. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to like because I said I'd, I'd come back to this the the, the ex Muslim overcorrection when it comes to anti-Semitism. Yeah. I think, and I mean, I, I've at times flippantly done it myself. And it's more on the things of, I'd see things like, you know, gays for Palestine, you know, or LGBTQ oh. against Islamophobia, or when the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain walked in the Pride Parade wearing a sign, you're holding a sign saying, Allah is gay, and then they were threatened to not be allowed back to the next year's yeah. parade. See, like I see things like that, and I, and, I, and like I said, the the Palestine, you know, the, the gays for Palestine. It's you know, I, again, Douglas Murray, just because I found this, with the way he put it very funny. It's like if gays were for, for Palestine, were in Palestine, they'd have to go to Israel because right. you, you know, like it's so I, I can see some of that, but I think a lot of it is to do with we know exactly what where the anti-Semitism comes from. Even like Mehdi Hassan, who when he wrote this, I was so surprised that he wrote it and he said, you know, uh, Islam's dirty little secret or Muslim's dirty little secret, you know, Islamic anti-Semitism. And, you know, like my grandfather, he would, I don't think my grandfather ever met a Jew in his life. And this yeah. is in India. And he would, something bad happened, like, and he would use the, the Urdu term, which is also the Arabic term, and it's like, uh, Yodia, all the Jews. And just, you know, it, it was just, it was there. So, so we see it so maybe we're hypersensitive to it coming from, yeah. you know, like an Elon Omar or a Rashid Talib, right? If, if, if we're so very, we're perceiving it too much. Um, like I said, I've, I've kind of veered away from that because, you know, I, I equate it to like the Uncle Leo and Seinfeld. Oh, they brought me a sandwich on whole wheat instead of rye. They're anti-Semitic. You know, like, yeah. you know, like everything is anti-Semitic, right? And a lot of ex-Muslims, and it, I think it's also because the ex-Muslim thing, especially... You know, a few years ago, mosques would say that there is no such thing as an ex-Muslim. They don't exist. Now they're having, at least in North America, ISNA is holding conferences all about the ex-Muslim problem. So they're aware of it. So, like, there's a lot more being more open about it, and there's a lot more new apostates. And I think they are... It's like... Um, and nothing... You know, I'm not criticizing people who have just apostatized or recent you know, ex-Muslims, but like converts to the religion or people who start going to college and taking feminist studies and all of a sudden become an SJW or the, the other side, the, the, the red-pilled or the woke or whatever, you know, like any of that crap. They're, it's like people with a new toy. So they're, they're, okay, and especially like when you've left the religion, there is a lot of anger involved in it, especially depending on something like Islam, like how deep you were in it. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of anger, especially, you know, like all the things you missed out and all that. So they're lashing out against everything against it. 
and I find like I see it more in younger or newer um, ex-Muslims than I yeah. do in people. You know, like I said, I've been an atheist since I was sixteen. It's not you know it, it, it's not part of my daily existence. It's not you know like I, I don't try to make it to be anyways. So I can see where they're getting that, and I think that's where that overcorrection is from. Is they are rebelling against everything from the religion. And yeah. so this gets added into it. I know I'm not agreeing that it's a good thing. I'm not saying it is, but I there's think that. Of, yeah, there's a bit of that. Um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, kind of. Yeah. If I got that right just now, like, there's a there's a bit of that happening. And uh, yeah, like let me get a few things just totally crystal clear. Like yeah, anti-Semitism is a huge problem, and there's a version of it in Islamic anti-Semitism that is that is really, really problematic and prevalent. I mean, I, I've heard it everywhere. I've seen it everywhere. That is real. Yeah, so, like, I'm not trying to say that anti-Semitism is not real. My simple criticism is just the not all criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. And specifically, we need to be able to criticize Israel's religious right and its influence over American politics as Americans without being accused of being anti-Semitic. If we don't, because this is where like, I feel like a, a teenager again, if we don't, and if we can't, that hypocrisy is, is the thing that will kill Judaism. It's not interfaith marriage or another Holocaust. It's the hypocrisy of blasphemy laws. And his, it, Judaism prides itself on being this like religion that's really about open discourse. There's all, you know, all those jokes i think everyone has them of like you know two jews three opinions kind of stuff like they all pride themselves in that kind of stuff um but if, when it comes to israel it's like two jews and you certainly can't have this opinion <laughs> you know what i mean it's like this is this is the, the hypocrisy that runs counter to everything else in it except if it's this victimhood narrative that everyone's always trying to kill us so we have to survive and we're going to have to like be kind of assholes to do it as one more before you answer like because about overcorrections because this is so personal, actually. I don't mean to be so abstract. I have a, a great uncle who, um, he, he died years ago, but he was a very strong man, and he was in Auschwitz and survived. I won't probably get all the numbers correctly. His, the entire family was killed. He lost his entire family. He was the only one that survived. He went in as a teenager, and he only survived because he was like super strong, and they kept using him for some, sort of like manual labor. So he survived the entire uh World War Two, and none of his family did. And then there he was in Europe in post World War Two as this surviving Jew. And there's this new country called Israel, and he was like, "Fuck it, I'm going." I, he had nothing, right? His whole family's dead and gone, and like that's it, I'm going. And he was angry. Talk about overcorrection. After you saw all that, he was angry, probably rightfully so, right? Like that's you're in, you're in a pretty fucking rough world when that happens. And he told, he told me this years and years later when I was just this teenager. and where, I remember it was in Pittsburgh at my relative's house. We were sitting at the kitchen table. And he told me, I was asking about those years. And he went to Israel. And he joined the army, which was like semi-mandatory at that time. And as we all know, war was declared on Israel basically the day that Israel was declared. And he is like, I went to Israel and I just killed a bunch of brown people. And he said it to me like that. He's like, I was just angry and I killed a lot of brown people. And that's like that's part of the story that doesn't get told a lot. And he and he's he's an old he was an old man when he told me this. And 
he had all kinds of confusion, of course, and remorse, and felt just conflicted about it all. But he was at least years and years later able to look back on the psychology of having his entire family ripped away from him and killed, and then here's these new people who want us dead too. Like fuck it, now I have a gun, right? The Germans took my guns away and put me in a camp. Now I've got a weapon. And I'm fighting back. And these are the people in front of me, so they're the ones who are going to get the brunt of my anger. Like, that's a scary mentality to be in. And we all should admit on every... That's an extreme version of it, of course, but like we should all admit that it's real and that we're susceptible to that and that there's real consequences to that. I'm, of course, not at all suggesting that the overreaction to cartoons by ex-Muslims is um, similar, but there there is this natural... I've always pointed to this as, I think, the most, the hardest thing to sort of swallow psychologically is, is to admit that you've been duped by something. We see over, you and I talked about this before, we see overcorrections from people who feel like they were duped by the left, like Dave Rubin, who maybe find themselves on the other end of the thing. We see it all the time everywhere, being duped and being then really angry at the people who duped you. And I think there's a, some ex-Muslims who feel that they were duped by Islam in some way and are overcorrecting and maybe have a, a line who, who like to use Israel as a thumb in the eye, as it were, to some of these real genuine awful anti-Semites who are, are doing work. And that's good, like that's, that's psychologically explainable, but we just have to admit that there, there is a, a certain percentage, a small percentage of religious Jews, fervently religiously Zionist Jews, who want the entire Middle East, or want at least to the river because they want their Messiah to come back. I mean, it's just as crazy as you would yeah. think it would. Who uh, love that, benefit from that, and maybe now are using those ex-Muslims over correction as, as a bit of a useful idiot that they didn't wish to be. And it's it, they they are they have become immune. I'm, I'm sure atheists out there don't want any religious maniac to, maniacs to be immune to their criticism. I'm pointing to one very specifically, and if they tell me I'm wrong again, the challenge stands. Draw the cartoon. Show it to me. Just draw it. I dare you. Send it to the New York Times. Okay. Send it to your boss and <laughs> see how well that goes. Just, okay, just a couple of things on that. Like, okay, yes, and, and that's what I was trying to get at. Like, the, I'm not agreeing with these ex-Muslims. I'm just trying to say why they might be overcorrecting to that point, right? Like, I believe there is, you know, there are plenty of things you can criticize Israel for. But I think from your point, and I'm not saying that you do this or whatever, but if your argument in itself is, you know, if someone's saying, okay, any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, yeah. I think it's, and it's the same thing with like ex-Muslims, um, or people who speak out against Islam in general, but let's not, let's make our criticisms valid. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's criticize it in a way that, you know, and then you're still going to have people to say, oh, you're going after all Jews, you're being anti-Semitic, you're being Islamophobic or whatever, but let's up our game. Let's sh let's make valid criticisms. Like the people who say, oh, look, Israel's, you know, the, the latest rocket attacks. Oh, Israel blew up a you know an orphanage or Israel killed a, a girl in a hospital. Right. And it turned out it was actually a Hamas rocket that killed her, but no one really made that much noise about that, right? right. It, it's, it's like, you know, the reason Israel ends up 
And, and, and again, like, you know, I'm, I'm not defending one thing or another, but it, I'm just trying to, like, you know, Hamas uses children as shields. Yes. So, you know, yes, Israel might have, you know, in a retaliation to a rocket attack uh, that they're very well protected against, you know, thankfully so. Like, I, I don't want to see anyone killed, but they retaliate and ended up killing some children and women. Yeah. You know, let's talk about this critically. Yes, it was wrong of women and children were killed, but should Hamas have placed weapons where women and children are? Yeah. You know, is, you know, does, like, again, like, there's, you know, Israel should not retaliate. It's like, so what they no, have no... Yeah. Yeah, those kind of criticisms, criticisms, of course, are are deranged and and probably anti-Semitic and really, really illogical. I think I'm like I'm trying to specifically point to the settlements a lot because it seems to be this thing that everyone agrees on being like that shit's not helpful. Right? Like I don't know if you've seen them, if you've been there, and you've seen it, but it's for anyone who hasn't been there. It's like you go as an American, I could do it. You go like. To Ramallah, like from Jerusalem, and you go through the checkpoints, and the checkpoints themselves we could talk about, and there, there's certain um, dehumanizing and seemingly unnecessary steps of like making old people with with canes walk instead of go through the thing. That there, there's a good amount of older Palestinians who refuse to go through the checkpoints just because they're like, I won't be treated like an animal, and and I sort of respect that sort of stance. But then of course there's the defense of like it's for self defense, etc. But the the settlements, like you're going through. And you're on your way, like, uh, I was doing some filming at Berzate University, and I was on my way to Ramallah, and, you know, it's you, you cross the border, and you're in the West Bank, and it's desert, and sort of, you know, there's little settlements here, little settlements there, uh, you can see the Palestinian ones, and it's just, like, people living there, and farming, and doing whatever they're doing, and then, like, Ramallah's kind of a nice little city there, and it's got its own thing going on, and then you look off. And there's like a road that only Israelis can drive on, and it's guarded, heavily guarded with a gate, going up onto a hill with this entirely gated community with a huge wall around it and barbed wire around everything and towers and really, really like nicely constructed homes in this little cluster on a hill and a road that only the people who live there could go on that goes into Israel. And you just look at it and you're like, that shit's not helpful. Right? And like everyone can sort of agree on this. Sam Harris, someone who, of course, yeah. we, when, when he wrote about Israel, uh, makes all these in nuanced defenses as you and I want to, that of course they should be defending themselves. The fact that they try to go out of their way not to kill civilians, where Hamas does the exact opposite, should tell you everything you know about the moral calculus, of course. But even he is like, the settlements, by the way, are not helping anyone. So it's like, so, so I, I'm like speaking specifically about I think you should be able to criticize the settlement. I mean, this should be able to be done in the New York Times. Criticize the settlements and the religious argument for the settlements, because most people living there are those kinds of of Jews, Uh, because who the fuck else would want to live there, honestly? It's like a crazy place. Criticize them in the New York Times and Netanyahu, obviously knowing the political advantage of having them there, and the influence over American politics to you know, uh, kiss the ring, as it were, of that policy is has to be valid. But immediately, you can even hear me hedging of like, you immediately get into this like conspiracy theory that the Jews are controlling the world. And so if that's the thing that we can't touch, like the Middle East is doomed to a lot more dead kids. Like, like, like that, that, that's where we're at. And, of, and, and actually, to put one more thing in here, what's, what's actually the most uh, exposing and the, the, just the biggest shame is, I think you saw me tweet about it, of 
the very little uprising in Palestine, well, in Gaza particularly, against Hamas that happened a few months ago, mostly because of economic reasons and pointing out the corruption of Hamas that was quickly just squelched by Hamas itself. And no one reported on it. Almost got no coverage. And that is fucked up. I mean, that was the most, out of every thing that's happened in the Israel-Palestine debacle since the 1940s, that was the most hopeful piece of news that I had seen in a long time of like, oh, yeah, this is the people you should be supporting. And the and the silence of that from the people you've mentioned, like Ilhan Omar, or other people, or even major news organizations, was is, is criminal. And it should expose and reveal all you need to know about possibly their true motivations and their anti-Semitism. So, and maybe that's something to point out with like the New York Times. It's like, where was your cartoon about that? They should have had one, sure. Where was your coverage about that? I frankly, I don't know. They, I think they probably did cover it. But like that is a huge thing, a huge development, which should have gotten a lot more attention. And, and probably not to be conspiratorial about the other side, probably was a reason that Hamas started firing some rockets to change the news cycle of like, oh, remember who the real bad guy is? Look, you hate Israel, right? And they were like, Okay, fine, right, right, you know, like, here we are again. No, but that's just, and again, like, okay, the settlements, yeah, there's plenty of problems there. I mean, I just brought up the Hamas thing because it was just recent with the rocket attacks, right? But huge problems with the settlements, but there's also internal things, like, and again, I don't, it's not, maybe I should follow it more, but you can't follow everything. And, uh, you know, it's, so, I mean, I see news reports come out like, oh, they, they're discussing limiting voting rights for certain people, like, you know, Arabs and things like that. I, I, I don't know enough about it. But then again, that's an internal policy that you can, you know, like if the Trump's Muslim ban, like all the, you know, articles about that, if there is something legitimately going on like that, and I mean, for such a small country, it gets a lot of news. You know, yeah, you know, it, but People so if you're yeah. uh, if you're getting all that coverage, if there are bad policies like that, make valid criticisms of them. Don't you know? Again, I I, I get where you're coming from, and I understand your you know, like what you're talking about, and it, I agree with all of it. It's just, but I'm I'm saying like, if I want to criticize Israel, I should do it. I should try to do it in a way that I want to criticize Islam, right? Like, the way I want to criticize Islam is, like, I don't want my family hurt. I don't want myself to be beat up by some racist because I said some stuff about Islam and he sees me and he doesn't know who, who I am. And, you know, like, I don't want any of that. You know, like, I don't want anyone hurt. I don't want my Jewish friends hurt. You know, I, I wouldn't want you hurt because I said something stupid about Israel and I incited, you know, however, like, however unlikely it is that something I said incites someone to go kill someone, right? But that's what I'm saying. I think, like, if better criticism starts coming out, yeah. and if people who always claim anti-Semitism, right? And I'm not saying Barry Weiss does, and I, if she, if you hear this Barry story, but you know, she should come out with her her own criticism of Israel. I, I hope she does. I think she will in her book. I mean, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Barry as well. Yeah. We're connected quite closely. Yeah. No, but like, so I mean, like I said, it, it's it's I think. On a lot of these things, and I and I know it's like you said, it's it's you can't fight everything, and it's hard to always be the one who does that thing. But I, th- I think like if we want to be able to criticize Israel or Islam or anything in general, like we should put out the critiques yeah, the way no, we that, like. Yeah, that's right, and that's why. Yeah, I, I do like Sam's piece on criticism of Israel, and Madrid has a great. Inter- I, I still reference it. It was like this internal dialogue that he wrote during 
one of the recent Gaza up, you know, flarings, flarings up, um, where it was really good. I don't know if you if you've read it. It was sort of like the the Palestinian voice in his head. He did like a like a, a little play between two voices, one Israeli and one Palestinian. It was quite good, and I thought quite balanced and nuanced. Um, yeah, and that, you're right. We should put out that criticism, which is why I was like put out the put out the cartoon challenge of like, okay, show me what it is because like. I, I could try to draw one if you want. I, like I actually don't even know what it would be either because that's my my point is like if I I can't think of anything that I wouldn't immediately get lamb, lambasted, and maybe and this goes almost to an interesting point about like the role of who should do the criticisms, right? Um, Majid as a reformer and and critic of Islam or even someone like yourself. Are you in a better position to do it than I am because of your name and your upbringing and your familiarity with it? Maybe you are. Like maybe you're the better firefighter there, and maybe it's it is up to me with Shapiro. Because could I get away with it for a while? Although I might get called a self-hating Jew really quickly, and then because that's another trope of the like. Well, Ion gets that being like, well, she had a bad experience with this. Yeah, so. or you know, like your native informant, uh, house Muslim Uncle yeah. Tom. Yeah, so yeah. It, it buys you like a five-minute window before they that yeah. comes out. Okay, but I mean, like, I'll give you uh, a, a, another example, and this is, I was in Afghanistan when uh, the Danish cartoon thing started really getting heated up, and it was one of the most scared I w- ever was in Afghanistan, because you had people, I was in Kabul, I was the NATO headquarters, a very small base, not the hugest fortifications, but it was fortified at least, but you had people running up to the base, because there was Danish soldiers on there and there was Danish flags flying off the base so you had that and then about six months later there was another you know rockets going back and forth from Gaza into Israel and uh, there was a lot of ramp up to this and so the mullahs got people excited so no one charged the base or anything but there was a larger number of people protesting in the streets again they have no clue what a Jew is they have no clue about Israel they, they, yeah. they don't okay they're hurting Muslims that's what they were told and they were you know they went out on the streets to protest this so it's you know a lot of the like the protests you see from Muslim countries and I'm not you know what I said about everything about the anti-semitism and everything like it's there they're told to kill Jews even though they don't know who they are but this was whipped up by the mullahs right they're using it for their advantage however way they see it I mean the, the Danish cartoons if it wasn't for the mullahs making up their the, the two worst ones were made up by the mullahs right like uh, Muslim is uh, Muhammad is a pig and I can't remember what the other one they were done by the mullahs specifically to incite violence so like, like I said like I, I could see this but it's it's easy to rile up I, I was just I was just like, trying to compare the two because it was very easy to rile them up about the cartoons of Muhammad but it's also easy for them to get a crowd rallying them up against Jews because the Jews are killing Muslims because it is chronically based and again this is I think going back maybe I'm trying to you know because I guess I started using the ex-Muslim thing a few years ago maybe I'm trying to you know throw some shade my way or whatever it's I can see why young ex-Muslims why they do that overcorrection. I can because they see it, they saw it, and they're like, they're you know again they're lashing out against every part of that religion, so they're lashing out against that. So they will freak out that that cartoon is anti-Semitic, or they will freak out that someone who says, "Oh, Israel kills babies," and you know whatever, or someone who complains about the settlements, you know 
why are all these Israelis going back? You know, why are all these Jews going back to Israel and all that? And when they'll bring up other points too, which are valid, like where are the Jews in the rest of the Middle East? What happened to them all? You know, and, and you know, these are valid questions, but again, they're making their criticisms through the lens of their anger at their former religion. And I think yeah. that's where a lot of that's coming from. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where to, <laughs> how, how we would find our way through it or, or out of it. I, I guess I'll say, like, with, with Judaism, um, yeah, and just, like, what, it, what has, it has come to mean as a target. I don't want to put, we, we, I don't want to talk about Barry Weiss anymore, mm-hmm. but her appearance on Bill Maher was great. And her description of anti-Semitism was really sharp in that it is not only sort of a stereotype of a certain ethnicity and a a certain kind of old school racism happening there, but it's also a conspiracy theory. That's a really, really interesting and valid point and makes it it unique, it makes it probably unique in the world at the moment and makes it hard to criticize because you every time that I've been trying to do it here, the only alarm bell that goes off in my mind is this like the Jews control the world kind of conspiracy theory. And and that that's the one that becomes really, really um, hard to point out. I could, I could give you some like why I think that is there. It just it, it, in the in like the analogy of Jews as the chosen people, as a small group of people who are chosen by God, who aren't necessarily trying to go out and proselytize. Like different, like you were telling the story of your your father's funeral. He's using this opportunity to try to bring more people into the fold. Jews don't really do that. It's not about like we need more of us. They're actually like no, no, we're good. We're good with how many we are, and they just happen to also be quite successful in a lot of countries they're in. So like. From the outside, it certainly looks like they're like, hmm, there's a small group of people over there who have a lot of money and influence, and they don't want me to join their cool club, so like, I think there's something shady happening over there. Like That's how these conspiracy theories start, whereas the Muslims are coming up to your lunch table and being like, hey, come sit with us, we're really cool, and you're like, nah, that's cool, Like I'm too cool for you guys, or like, hey, you guys... You guys don't look like you have that fun. Your toys aren't that fun. <laughs> the Jews have all those cool toys, and they don't want me to join their club. Like, what's happening over there? And then suddenly you get these awful conspiracy theories that happen. So, like, to, to given that psychology in the world, of, like, you know, South Park pokes fun at it, really, I think, with brilliant satire in their entire series. <laughs> Hartman being the, like, stereotypical anti-Semite who's sure that Kyle has Jew gold hidden somewhere. And <laughs> you saw the episode where, like, he finds yeah, yeah, yeah from his neck or whatever and it's like show me your Jew gold it's like it's funny because it's so absurd right Cartman's an absurd stupid character that's why he's funny that he has this dumb idea and they play into it uh, but but that's real as you know like the Islamic version of anti-Semitism is Cartman that's why it's so fucking ridiculous like where is the Jew gold they're hiding it like the Rothschilds still have it or something it's crazy but so like how do you like do people think Cartman is anti-Semitic or has that gone so far that the satire is so obvious that, like, you know what the joke is. Like, you know, I love cartoons. Again, I love satire, and I love this form of, of I think it's really important work to, to, to do. Um, I mean, that would be an interesting one to consider of, like, is the Cartman thing... It, it's, it's so obviously anti-Semitic that it's no longer anti-Semitic. But 
what do you do about trying to point out some kind of, uh, like I've been trying to do, of criticism of not not the orchestrators of that situation, because that would be a conspiracy theory, but the situation we actually find ourselves in, of that Netanyahu is a smart fucking dude. He knows what these settlements do. He knows that if he could shield the expansion of settlements and the people who actually want to fucking live in these ridiculous places from criticism, because any criticism of them is out of bounds and gets you fired and called a bigot, like, you, you don't have to call that a conspiracy theory to just notice it, call it politics, and criticize it the way that we criticize other politics. And, and that's what I keep pointing to of being like, is that now impossible? I'm struggling as someone to be able to do it. So if we're in that situation, it's a, it's a bad situation. And that's, that's my whole sort of like, I don't know how to thread that needle other than point at it of like, oh, the needle hole is actually no, no, I'll, closed. It's I'll give you all that. And I, you know, and I, like I said, I think especially... Maybe actually, just even before you answer it, maybe it's not that big of a problem. Like, like maybe... Maybe that's the better thing, and like the calculus is being like Jay's probably right about this specific point, and maybe maybe I'm overreacting because I grew up in that in that environment and grew up with the frustration of a teenager being like, "What the fuck? Why can't we criticize this one thing?" Um, and but maybe in the world it's like you know what Jay's right, but anti-Semitism and especially Islamic anti-Semitism is actually a huge threat, and so like let's just put that thing aside that he's talking about for a minute. The Palestinians will continue to sort of get fucked. And but like we got bigger fish to fry right now. That might be the calculus, and if that's the calculus, I don't really have an answer to it other than like, yeah, you're probably right. But let me at least point out this specific blasphemy. So should people not make these cartoons because there's bigger fish to fry? Maybe. And if that's the argument, I feel like it's a different argument than the hey, the cartoon's anti-Semitic. Just being like, oh, just don't make the cartoon because we have other things to do. Well, no, I disagree with both of those. I don't think. Okay, good. I, I, I think. You know, I have always said it. If you find something is wrong, speak out about it. I, I, I hate this whole stay in your lane garbage. You can't talk about it because you're not X. Oh, yes. no, screw that. Talk about, If you think it's wrong, talk about it. And I think the cartoon should be allowed because, A, the cartoon did start a conversation. I mean, not just this one between the two of us, but all over the place. But, I, again, like, I, I don't think there should be blasphemy laws. I don't think any any pseudo blasphemy laws or the you know you can't criticize israel because if you criticize israel as anti-semitic or you know like you said the self-hating jew like you know i I keep going back to this friend of mine in montreal i see some of the stuff people's you know she criticizes israel and half of it's in like replies to her in hebrew and i do the translate and i get this you know garbled translation but the gist of it is just so horrific like and it's no criticism should be allowed it is, you know, that, that's the whole essence of free speech is the right to right. criticize. And, and this goes to our, like, if I was going to criticize some specific aspect, well, this is this was what the Republicans were with the with us or against us thing, why my parents took back down the flag mm-hmm. to bring it back to that, of, like, if I wanted to criticize the Bush administration's Iraq invasion specifically for all kinds of reasons, does that mean I hate America? Does that mean I'm against America? Is this a with us or against us thing? Like, it's, it, as you've been suggesting, this, like, black and white, all or nothing view of the world is just getting us into so much trouble. No. So, yeah, like, we should be able to criticize it. 
and still be pro-Israel. Like, I, you know, if I criticize Israel's expansion of settlements, or I think the religious right are nut jobs who have too much influence in Israel and then via Israel-American politics, this doesn't mean I don't. I want Israel wiped off the face of the earth. This doesn't mean I support Hamas. Like, the people who go to those extremes are, just have to sort of be ignored in the conversation. Like, you, like you're saying, like, don't let crazies on the left and the right own the conversation like well, no we should be able to we should be able to do that and if we can't and and i fear the firing of that cartoonist like do we even like yeah do we even know who that cartoonist was was he left was he right was he anti-semitic does anyone fucking care anymore no nope. it's like no no one like, like you saying it raised the conversation i worry the conversation that it raised is this one which is was the cartoon anti-semitic versus the conversation around like wait what is the relationship with Israel's religious right and America? And and let's talk about that. Oh, I disagree with that, or I agree with that. That would be a great conversation, rather than like it's anti-Semitic. No, it's not. It's like what the fuck. Now we're actually not talking about the content of the cartoon. We're talking about the like. Can anybody? Can you draw that cartoon? And, the, and that's where I worry. It's like it's a conversation about a conversation where like we never have the the, the real one. No, no. And okay, all that again go by social media and whatever. I mean, yeah. especially Twitter. Yeah, we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, again, like you tried, you tried starting a conversation on your terms. You know, like, can we draw a cartoon that's critical yeah. of the religious right in Israel that you wouldn't consider anti-Semitic? Now, you know, like I said, and that, that, that's a way to start this conversation. It's, you know, like, what can you think of something smaller than a cartoon, right? You can't. So let's, You'll frame the conversations that way. What I'm saying, let's have these conversations. Like, let's okay. Everyone should seek out reasonable conversation, but we're not having that. We're we're. Uh, uh, this is part of the problem. Is everyone is going to the extreme of everything? Like, you know, if I question the fact that you know, should a trans woman compete against biological females? Yeah. Oh my God, are you invalidating my right to exist as a trans person? No, I'm just asking a question. Right, it's everyone wants to. I think we're, and I'm guilty of it. I think, but I think we're all looking for somehow or other. We're, we're gotten so sensitive. We want to find the worst possible interpretation of what that person is saying and criticize that instead of the actual argument they're making. Right, and that yeah, that's that's well put to what I think. Like making the worst possible interpretation of the cartoonist who draws that, of like he picked a dog because he's a Nazi. And he really loves the Nazi propaganda of Jews and dogs. Like, no, like, probably fucking not. <laughs> like, give the guy a break, he's a cartoonist. And, and then, because maybe the better argument to not do that tactic is the like, he probably didn't know, or even if he did know, maybe he underestimated how irresponsible or dangerous it might be to use the dog because of this, like, Nazi thing. Um, so, you know, then he made a mistake and it was sloppy and irresponsible and he should be more responsible as a cartoonist, but he's not anti-Semitic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like that, that, that would be, I don't even agree with what I just said, but that would be the, a fairer way to assess that cartoon in the motherfucking New York times. If we think the New York times is now anti-Semitic, if we're going to like, what do you have left? We're going to be reading like, <laughs> like where, where are you going? The left is tearing itself down that uh -oh. the New York times is getting accused uh -oh. of this kind of thing with these kind of bad intentions like you you 
you Nazis. Like, okay, I'll give you another one that's totally off topic here, but it's it's, it's well, it's kind of is. So it was right after the the royal baby was recently born. There, uh, whatever I can't even remember. I don't even know the oh, names yes. of the people. Yeah, with the so, picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the 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 guy had no clue what he was doing. He was just yeah. some old old guy that put out a you know any. It was like, oh, they welcomed the royal baby, and like, yeah, people freaking out about that. Yeah, and it's just, just, I mean, there's, there's again, there's two responses. It's one, he's a racist, and he did this, and he knew what he was doing because he hates black people and thinks they're the same as monkeys. (laughs) Or two, he was unaware of, as as he said, like even I think his apology was overkill, but apologized because he was like unaware of the particular symbol and its relationship with sort of racist tropes and apologizes if it like upset anyone or triggered anyone and clearly the intention of his joke was to point out the absurdity of the royal family and that anyone gives a shit because that's his entire career mm. has been poking fun at like the, the royalty and pomp and circumstance so you think suddenly he became like a raging racist at this one moment it's like yeah the fact that we're not giving anyone the benefit of the doubt that maybe they were unaware of a thing and that they're and then even if you were aware of it being like yeah i was aware that like there's this trope out there of black people as monkeys, but like, come on, get over it. Like, anything was a big deal. And then you could have a disagreement of being like, no, 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 it's actually a big deal. And you could have a big disagreement about, you know, that symbol in particular and using it or not, which is which is where I would love the conversation about that I was trying to force about that cartoon of like, stop just calling the cartoonist anti-Semitic. Why is the cartoon anti-Semitic? Let's talk about it. And then people are like paralyzed, and it's like, oh, the the dog. I think like it's like okay, <laughs> like what what are we talking about then there? Like let's get down to like, okay, forget the intentions. If you think this is anti-Semitic, and the the author of it may have been un, unaware of those those things, okay, now now we're talking about the symbols, and then we're talking about whether it really matters, etc. Which which are better conversations, honestly. Yeah, and then they, like I, I said, like at this point, I think we're just repeating the same thing, so we, I, yeah. we should wrap it up. But yeah, it's it's all that. I mean, oh. we could come up with more and more examples of yeah. this. I throw one more that's even more absurd. Do you remember the one where the guy said he was trying to say Martin Luther King Jr. Park on the news, and he accidentally, clearly, accidentally said like Martin Martin Coon Jr. Yeah. Park. Yeah. Martin got, Luther like, Coon, yeah. Yeah, and got like, and clearly this was just like a misstep. He said it quickly. It's easy to trip your over your own words, and people like assume this guy who's probably led like a totally normal life and is like a whatever. Now he's a racist. Like like that accident becoming like, oh, you're done. Like you can match some of the pain, like yanking him off stage on the side, being like, oh, racist. We got him. It's like, well, what are you talking about? Okay, I mean, I'll give you two examples. One that I did recently, and it was just a joke, and I, you know, I just got people laughed at it. I didn't get any, you know, I said, yo, it was at the end of Game of Thrones. I said, you know, Bran was a, Bran was a, uh, was it a diversity hire? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so what, am I being ableist? Am I being uh, anti you know, right. handy. Like, no, I'm not. I just, I was making a stupid joke because I was, you know, it's it just, that's all it was. But I, there's one thing I, you know, I said, like, we're, we are getting so sensitive that like, there's that condition people have where they're, they get, feel physical pain from sunlight. Yeah. Right. And it's very, very rare. I mean, the only reason I knew about it was there's this family from South Africa that was being deported from Canada because their children had it and they were living there and there was, there was something going on with their claim. And this is, you know, so and I said, okay, it's gotten to the point where if I say it's a nice sunny day outside, it's beautiful, that someone who has that condition can then accuse me of hate speech. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I took it to a very extreme, but it, yeah. it's getting... And so, like, the same thing with that cartoon. I think what you're talking about is the more important thing around that cartoon. Like, is the criticism of Israel now automatically anti-Semitic? Not whether that cartoon was anti-Semitic, not whether or the guy... of an anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but even if he was, and it's a valid cr- criticism, like, I'm trying to think of, you know... You know, like I, I, I couldn't think of anything Bin Laden said that would be valid criticism, or you know, or Baghdadi. But but let's just say they did did make some sort of valid criticism. Right. And I said, okay, you know what? This is a valid criticism. Does that mean I support Bin Laden, or I don't think he has all these other, you know, horrible right. beliefs? No, it doesn't. I'm just you know this one thing. So even if this guy was anti-Semitic and he made a valid criticism, let's talk about the criticism and what it's doing. Sure. You know. No, I think I think to to wrap it up. You're, you're like talking about it a bit now. The um, that thing you put on Twitter this morning of the the Chinese proverb with the three faces. I'm reading it now. Like one for the public, one for our closest friends, and one just for ourselves. The answer will fluctuate between those faces for all people, and that score will change for each of these faces. And and I responded being like, I think I think you're actually on. To, and I was like, which one's the Twitter face? I think you're actually onto something pretty profound there. I'd love for you to like expound on that, or a psychologist to like really dig into that, because I think what we're really putting our finger on here is this hunch that no one really, really gives a shit that the guy said Martin Poon Jr. part by accident. But on Twitter, this weird face that we show in social media is this weird combination that is getting like ramped up in this crazy. We could call it virtue signaling, but that's almost far too simple because I feel like that's been used as as too much of a sledgehammer as well but i don't know what that face is on social media that like demands to pretend to be outraged and care john ronson wrote that great book called so you've been publicly shamed which went through all these famous cases there's this hunch that it's like does anyone actually really care about that thing and you're right you'll probably find that one person but what like but the most people are like I don't care. This phenomenon of being offended for people who aren't offended themselves, like on behalf it, of them. Exactly. I, I, I started calling that victimhood appropriation. Yeah. You know, like well, it's you're, happening with Jews, and I want to warn the ex-Muslims who are worried about that anti-Semitic cartoon. There might be some who really th- are really upset about it, who are really like freaking out about it and doing this stuff. Maybe Barry Weiss is one of them. We'll see what her book is about. I don't know. But there's a whole fucking lot of them like me looking around being like, I don't fucking care. I criticize Israel. <laughs> like... And I need to be able to do that because I actually consider it to that the ability not to do that is a threat to Jews and a threat to Judaism. So if you really care about that, that you should. So I think there's there's a bit of that going on where there's an appropriation of my victimhood that I do not hold. So right. okay, and, and and I get that. And I mean, yeah. actually talking to you today, I've changed. I shouldn't say changed because I was you know mostly in your camp, but I, I see more where you're coming from. And like Good. I think like equating it to the Islamophobia thing. Would we a good way to get ex-Muslims, or even not just ex-Muslim people who criticize Islam, but will then shit on you for criticizing Israel? Maybe it's a good way to get them to understand that. That's that's fair. And then, as always, I try to steel man the best argument against me, which I which I think I've given as well. Of like, there is a calculus to be like, listen, Jay, we get your point, but you're underestimating this other kind of danger. So like. The cost of not criticizing those religious Jews and the harm that it's literally doing all over the world, and particularly in in the West Bank, uh, we're we're going to accept that harm because if we if 
we do allow this criticism, there is no responsible way to do the criticism that won't incite this thing that's much more dangerous. If that's the calculus, I'm on board, convince me, cool, good, I'll shut up, good. But that's the best argument. The, the bad argument is it's anti-Semitic and so is the New York Times and so is the guy who did it and it's rising everywhere and we're all fucked. That's the bad argument. I won't accept it and I won't engage with it. And if, if Jews want to make it too, I will, I will push back on them of like, you're actually, it would be like the Muslims pushing back on the other Muslims being like, listen, not every criticism of Islam is invalid and just because they hate brown people. Not every criticism of this is because Jews are just always hated. I'm, I'm sure if anyone's gotten to the very end of this very long interview and has grown up like me, I'm not unique, like I said. You will have heard this your entire life. We're all familiar with the ADL calling foul on everything. And uh, they appear to have won the microphone. <laughs> That's, I think, a problem. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, I think uh, we should cut this. We should uh, probably. It's been yeah. about two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, thank yeah. you, everyone, for listening. And I'll be back.